0: The Cinephilia, the podcast, episode number 45. I'm Michael Getty. I'm Trevor Amstead, in case you've forgotten. Yeah, it's been a while. It has. Do I even remember how to do this? Neither one of us do. We'll see. Uh, I don't have anything about last... Or Sorry,
1: how have you been in the last month? (laughs) See, I forgot. I've been good. Um, Yeah, I can't think of anything groundbreaking uh, that has happened. So, yeah, I've been good.
0: I went to WonderCon at one point in yes. that month. I don't know how long
1: it's actually been. So our last episode was released two weeks ago to the day, but we recorded what? Probably a, a, week, a before week before that. that? You yeah. have the uh, original
0: file in there and you can see when it was created. If you want to do that. No, it's okay. We'll just
1: say three, three three and a half weeks sounds about right.
0: Exactly. Um, I just got off of seven days in a row at work. And my voice is uh, a little weary. It's kind of over it because uh, I use my voice a lot at work. Not to go into any more detail than that.
1: Um, Yelling at the drunk woman to calm down on stage. <laughs> yeah, I'll take my pants off. Relax. I'll get to it. Okay, i on stage. I you were telling yes. the
0: stage women to, like, I'm... The guy working there going, hey, ladies, trying to earn money. Calm down with your naked bodies. Yes.
1: No, it's your naked body on display and you're uh-huh. telling the ladies to calm down. Getty's <laughs> yeah, a male stripper, in case you didn't know. He doesn't, he doesn't want to talk about it, but I know the truth. You're not supposed to tell anybody that. I know. I'm sorry.
0: Um, yeah, WonderCon. I really just went there to just buy stuff. Didn't do any of the panels. Uh, mostly bought... Um, Ninja Turtle graphic novels.
1: Like old ones or are they still making them?
0: Uh, well, there's one that came out a few years, few years ago called La- The Last Ronin, which is like the Dark Knight Returns or Old Man Logan of Ninja Turtles, where there's only one of them left. Uh, it's post-apocalypse and that one is trying to get revenge for the death of his family.
1: Who is it, Raphael?
0: Well, that's the big spoiler. That's the big oh. reveal after the first issue. Are you interested in reading it? Sure. Okay, then I'll let you borrow it. Someone else is borrowing it right now. I've okay. already finished it. it. It's great. It's it's definitely... Um, for anybody who has even a mild interest in the Ninja Tur- Ninja Turtles and a mild knowledge of the Ninja Turtles, uh, you, you're able to just pick it up and read it.
1: Well, I would have. Im- I don't know why I assumed it was Raphael, maybe because he uses the the Psy.
0: I'll say this, that I assumed it was him, too. Yeah. I'm not going to say whether it is or not. So. Okay. Uh, um, which reminds me, I was going to get the action figure for that, but that's... I digress. Um, I also bought there was like there're two booths there that had movies last time I went to WonderCon I bought a bunch of used Criterion movies and I was super stoked this time I went through the whole floor and there was one that happened to have just a, a few movies and another one that has a bunch of bootlegs so you know 20 30 years ago this guy was probably you know the star the bell of the ball uh, but now it's like dude i could just torrent any of that if i can't find it on any of my streaming services
1: so he would basically download and just rip it to a disc mm-hmm. okay got it but would he like print a like a nice cover for it at least or
0: he would print a cover for it i wouldn't necessarily say it was nice
1: okay <laughs> so he's just doing it at home like in his yeah. Mom's, yeah obviously on his on mom's mom's printer, printer. Yeah.
0: he doesn't have the highest quality printer so it's like he doesn't have a passion for his craft
1: is what i'm trying to say you know it's no one really does anymore it's really sad man yeah. including us <laughs>
0: I guess I'll say this, that uh, I apologize that we're not getting these out every week, but at the same time, we're both very busy. Because we were going to record like a week ago mm-hmm. when I finally had some time, but our you were busy. so, so Yeah. yeah. Didn't line up. So, we'll, we'll, you know, if we're forcing ourselves to do this and not benefiting other than just making people happy or um, just enjoying watching the movies and talking about them, then uh, we'll just take it at our own pace. So yeah. If you want us to do it more weekly or more often... Then uh, tell your friends if this thing takes off and we're and able mothers. to get sponsors and all that stuff. Then we'll uh, treat it more like a job. Yeah. So.
1: But when we're... you start paying us, then we'll treat it like a job, okay? <laughs> I'm not saying all we, right? they would have to pay us. I mean, if I, they want I'm to, telling, they can I'm telling them
0: to pay us. <laughs> Alms for the poor. Um, yeah, I'm trying to remember what movie I did find. Oh, it was New York Ninja, which is some shitty movie that somebody made back in the eighties and it got lost. And then somebody found the negative for it at a yard sale. And so they gave it to vinegar syndrome, which is a company, a boutique Blu-ray company that, um, restored it and released it. And so, and it looks, and it's one of those so bad. They're good movies.
1: Okay. Is that like, um, what's the one with Michael Dudikoff? Oh, I don't know. It's something Ninja, American Ninja. I think Yeah,
0: is it the one where, uh,
1: and they made like five of them.
0: I don't know. there is one where others oh, are like American Samurai or or Samurai Cop is what I was thinking of when you uh, said that.
1: no, hang on. Let me let me just check it really quick.
0: Look up Samurai Cop. It's it's on. I've definitely yeah. heard
1: of um Samurai Cop.
0: There I think there's a Rift Tracks version of it too.
1: Yeah, it's called American Ninja with Michael Dudikoff. Have you seen it? Um I remember it used to be on TV a long time ago. Mm-hmm. Uh so I probably saw like pieces of it. American soldier, obviously very skilled in martial arts, single-handedly takes on mercenaries in the Philippines. And there's like five, I think there's like five parts of them.
0: That's what movies like New York Ninja, Samurai Cop, and like Miami Connection are trying to be. Mm -hmm. They're trying to be the Steven Seagal movies and the Michael Dudikoff movies,
1: I guess.
0: Jesus. Is that canon? Like the studio? That's a
1: good question. It might be. Let me see.
0: So I feel like in that documentary.
1: They talk about it. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Go see uh, Electric Boogaloo: The Story of Canon, or whatever the subtitle is for. But
1: yeah, there's literally American Ninja Two: The Confrontation, <laughs> American Ninja Three: Blood Hunt, American Ninja Four: The Annihilation, and then just American Ninja Five.
0: They they gave up. They didn't give it a good, good subtitle. Yeah, they're just like
1: it. Fucking... Yep, the Canon Group released it. The budget was one million dollars. Maybe we should spend an entire month talking about Canon films. Sure. Talk about He-Man. I He Man. me Man, a lot of time on He Man,
0: Superman Four.
1: Oh yeah, I forgot. Yeah.
0: One's... Anyways, <laughs> I know you did go somewhere um, last week when I suggested recording. You ended up going. If you want to talk about that, I don't know if you want to be private.
1: We went to Disneyland. Is that what we're talking about? The other park. The other park. Oh, Universal. Yeah. Yes, we went to Universal Studios, <laughs> the other park. Because one day we were. We went to Disneyland, I think, either last week or the week before. Mm-hmm. Um Was it it was a week before, right? Yeah, cuz last week is when we went to Disneyland, a week from last week from The last week you went yeah, to Universal. Yeah. So, we went to Universal and um Yeah, it was it was fine. Um more specifically, you got reservations for Oh, yeah, for um what do they super call it mario super world. mario world and super nintendo world super nintendo so you didn't even know the name and uh, you forgot you even went <laughs> i was there for eight minutes and i got covid three times i was uh, there i was there it was like shoulder to shoulder people mm-hmm. the entire it was so fucking jam-packed it was crazy um one of the the main ride like the whatever was like three hours the Mario Kart ride was like, there's only one ride, yeah. And the restaurant, like you couldn't, well, we're, we wouldn't go anyway, but the, <laughs> um, the reservations were closed for like probably the next like week. It's just like so it insane. looks, it looks really cool, and like you go in, it's like wow, this is cool, but it's very, it's a very, very small area, and it's just jam fucking packed full of people. It's like crazy, and everybody's coughing, breathing, <sighs> climbing on top of each other. It's um, it's a nightmare. Let's just put it that way. Sounds like it. So.
0: I want to go, but not that soon.
1: Yeah. Well, we, we had passes and we actually canceled them when we realized how much we were spending a month on them. And we don't uh-huh. go super often. So we could go twice a year and pay like the same amount as like a pack. Oh, yeah. So it's just... Pay less than what we're paying for passes. I remember when... It was cheap because we had passes like last year. Right. And they were cheap and then we renewed them. And I guess they increased the prices kind of... $1. Huh? What? They only increased it by like a dollar. It's just not worth it for us. Okay, Truss is going to take my place on this podcast. <laughs> I'm fucking done for today, so... Uh, I'm fucking repeating what you say. What are you talking about? And that Universal Studios is why we will be canceling our passes. Yeah. So, you know, those things somebody try to cancel subscription, like, why are you canceling? Is it too much money? Is it just not enough programming or you know, all that stuff? Just record, just record that and play it to them. So anytime you want to cancel, you can use that clip of Tressa explaining why we canceled more succinctly than I did. So thank you, Tressa. Yeah.
0: I remember when I went, it was probably 2018, and I got a pass because it was barely more than getting
1: a one-day ticket. Mm-hmm. So it's probably changed since the pandemic. Yeah. And it's great. I love Universal, but yeah. it's one of those places that, you know, they're kind of limited on what they offer. But the things right. they offer is very fun. So you can go once every like four or five months and it's great. Mm-hmm. But for the price that we're paying, it's just not worth it for us. So Yeah. Now, Six Flags, that's a different story.
0: I had a free ticket for Six Flags last year, and I didn't use it because I'm like, who's going to go with me? And I also have to pay who knows how much for parking now. Yeah, it's fucking ridiculous. It's out there parking. too. Yeah. Don't want to get shot or stabbed. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so we're talking about a movie from 2002. This is our third movie from 2002, which is insane. Not really, but it is. Uh, it's our first <laughs> time we're talking about a movie... For the third time. Last time we talked about one from this year was uh, Rules of Attraction. And since then, I've been to... i might have been since the last time we recorded that I went to the University of Riverside to see Sweeney Todd. And, oh, uh, that's
1: why you went there. You didn't yeah. go there just to look at the Rules of Attraction no, that'd be shooting weird. locations? Because you love the movie so much. Exactly.
0: But uh, I did look very familiar. I'm like, yeah, this is obviously the, the set... Was it supposed to be in some place that's, was it, New Hampshire or whatever? hmm Snowy and all that. I'm like, it's, it's, it's Redlands. Did I say Riverside earlier?
1: You might have. Well, doesn't matter.
0: Uh, so I'm not going to go through any of the things that came out in 2002. The other movie we talked about was Irreversible. So if you just go listen to those first two episodes, if you care about what came out in that year, other than the fact that I graduated high school that year, became an adult and started working at a job that I worked out for nearly five years. But I digress. The reason we're talking about this movie specifically is because it was our one-year anniversary, like, two weeks ago. Sentimental (laughs)
1: reasons, yeah, sentimental reasons.
0: It's far greater back when we recorded the first episode. I think we recorded it in February, maybe, or early March. So it's been over a month since we recorded our first episode. But it always takes me a long time to finally edit the first the first one so speaking of digressing we're talking about the movie adaptation which was written and directed no it wasn't let's say that again
1: we're a little rusty here
0: it is uh <laughs> it's uh, adaptation the reason why we're doing this is one of your anniversaries because it's directed by uh, spike jones and written by charlie kaufman possibly also written by donald kaufman Uh, and our first movie we actually talked about at length was being John Malkovich, which was also directed by Spike Jones and written by Charlie Kaufman. I feel like we're losing it already. Yes. (laughs) The IMDb score is 7.7 has a 91% on Rotten Tomatoes and an 85% audience score on Rotten Tomatoes. Do you want to guess what the budget was?
1: Mm, Fairly. Low, fairly yeah. cheaply made. Uh, I'll say six million.
0: You also have to remember you have Nicolas Cage, Meryl Streep. Yeah. Um, the rest of them weren't big names yet, but they were about to be around this time.
1: I'll stick with six point five
0: million. Well, I was suggesting you should probably go higher, but okay. it's it's <laughs> they had to pay uh Nicolas Cage twice. No, I don't know if they did that. It's uh 19 million
1: oh Oh my god. So okay, the entire budget was spent on the cast,
0: probably. Yeah. Uh do you want to guess how much it made worldwide?
1: I would imagine not very, it wasn't a huge hit. Um no. I'm going to say 26 million. 32.8. Okay. Okay. It did win an Oscar for Chris Cooper as
0: supporting. That's I remember seeing him nominated and thinking, "Hey, it's the dad from October Sky."
1: And the dad from American Beauty.
0: Yeah, the the Closeted, Nazi yes.
1: Collector, homosexual.
0: Mm-hmm. Spoilers. Uh, it was also nominated for lead actor for Nicolas Cage, but lost to Adrian Brody in The Pianist. Got to say that right. <laughs> uh, it was also nominated for lead actress Meryl Streep, but lost to Nicole Kidman in The Hours. And also lost adapted screenplay, which is kind of sad because that's what this whole movie about, is about—is adapting a screenplay. Uh, it lost that to The Pianist. So I haven't seen The Pianist in a long time. I think if I really did all this research, you know, weeks ago when I first suggested the movie, I would have gone, Hey, maybe I should watch The Pianist and I can
1: Mm -hmm. compare and contrast
0: and see if it really did deserve.
1: I haven't seen it in a long time either, but I remember really liking it.
0: Same. Um, It is not part of the Criterion collection, but it was originally part of something called Shout Select, which I may have mentioned before. It's Shout Factory's, more prestigious movies, so they're
1: you know select get because they're selected, mm-hmm. and that's the version that you let me borrow, right? Yeah. And it was Shout Select, yeah.
0: And it uh, is on 4K now, but it's not part of Shout Factory anymore. Like I said, directed by Spike Jones, written by Charlie Kaufman, and Dan- Dan- Donald Kaufman was also credited. And one of the producers is Jonathan Demme. I don't know if you noticed that. I did notice that. Yeah. Uh, the funny thing about this with the Donald, the twin thing. Well, the big thing about this whole movie is most of these people in this movie are real people.
1: Yeah. They're and based it, on real people. While I was watching it, I was trying to wrap my head around like, does this, did this really happen? Like, is this yeah. real? Is this person exist? And 99% of the people who are featured in the movie are real people. Yes.
0: Um, Charlie Kaufman's real. Susan Orlean. Orlean is real. Uh, John LaRoche is real. Um, Charlie Kaufman. Why well, I said that. Um, another character that I'll mention later is real. I don't know if uh, Maggie Gyllenhaal's character is real. I forgot she was in this movie until she reappeared. Um, but I do remember there being at least Charlie Kaufman trying to push, maybe even the uh, studio, trying to push the idea that there is a Donald Kaufman that we've never seen in public. Yeah. Which is funny because this is his like second big movie. I think he did Human Nature right before this with uh Michel Gondry which I still need to see which is also shot select and I'm sorry I need to sit up I feel like I need to take a breath too uh but obviously nobody believed him and 99% sure there was never a Donald Kaufman Mm -hmm. so we start off with narration uh the lead character played by Nicolas Cage is very neurotic almost uh Woody Allen like
1: um if Woody Allen's a 10, Charlie Kaufman in this movie is like a 7.5. Yeah. So he's not totally neurotic, but yeah.
0: Until you get to certain scenes, then it yeah. gets, then it's, I mean, it's Nicolas Cage, so you have to have him be that way. And in certain scenes, it, it's a crime. It's like a tax you have to pay. Um, we start off with uh, on the set of Being John Malkovich, which is when I first started watching this movie, right after we did that episode, I was like, that's when i when i saw them on the set i was like oh my god we have to do this movie so i had to try to figure out when we could do it and i'm like oh the one year anniversary it works perfectly yeah yeah so we it starts off with john malkovich in a dress telling everybody that not to fuck around on the set because they're it's the scene with all the different john malkovich's they're all wearing rubber masks that look like him and he's talking about how hot it is in that
1: And there's, there's a person sitting next to him and it's like really, really creepy because it's like, it looks like, it looks like John Malkovich, but the head like isn't moving. The eyes aren't moving and they're just like staring in one spot. And I was just like, I wasn't focused on John Malkovich. I was focused on the person next to him. It was like very, very fucking creepy to look at.
0: Yeah. It's kind of like that, uh, Tom Cruise speech. Um, like people were like fucking around on, was it the newest mission impossible or maybe I think it was probably mission impossible. Uh, during they were they were filming during the
1: pandemic and he's like
0: we need to stop fucking around you need to i mean he probably didn't say those words but
1: no he did he he like actually cussed but wasn't he talking about like being safe like covid safe exactly
0: he was getting super serious where out of context it would seem like he's being an asshole like like the christian bale thing Mm -hmm. but he's like malkovich in this scene he seems like an asshole but he is being Sincere, and he's doing it for the right reasons. I like
1: you. You're a good guy, but we're fucking done professionally, man.
0: <laughs> you want, me to, you want me to mess up your lights? You want me to
1: fucking trash your, your lights? You trash your lights. <laughs> You're over here going, do 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 do. It's fucking distracting. <laughs> uh, you got to put that in there. I do. Am I gonna walk around and rip your fucking lights down in the middle of a scene? Then why the fuck are you walking right through? Oh, da-da-da-da, like this in the background. What the fuck is it with you?
0: You got any fucking idea about, hey, it's fucking distracting having somebody walking up behind Bryce in the middle of the fucking scene? Give me a fucking answer. What don't you get about it? I was looking at the light. Oh, good for you. And how was it? This is, uh... It's just really cool to see him again. We get to see the cinematographer Lance Accord, who mm-hmm. was the cinematographer for this movie as well. See our episode about being John Malkovich for more about him. We also see Charlie Kaufman, but not the Charlie Kaufman, Nicholas Cage, Charlie Kaufman. And he gets kicked off the set cuz he's kind of in the shot and people don't recognize him as the writer cuz that was his first that was his big break was being John Malkovich. Um cuz like I mentioned in that episode before, he did like sitcoms weird sitcoms he was part of the writing stuff for like the dana carvey show so a bunch of failed sitcoms until finally this took
1: off and he also wrote eternal sunshine and spotless mind in case you forgot well not you not you but our listener
0: yeah we'll get to that one eventually that was supposed to be in february but now i'm like we just did charlie kaufman a year ago we did charlie kaufman now maybe two year anniversary but we'll see sure we have many movies to go through Mm mm-hmm um
1: the fuck is that? It's a gate, someone closing their squeaky ass gate. Someone outside screaming.
0: Figure out who it is, and I'll send him WD forty with a bow on it. Uh and then he we hear his narration again. He asks, How did I get here? And we go all the way back to four billion years earlier. Four billion and forty years earlier in Hollywood, California. It's just the primordial ooze Ooze. uh we see evolution we see an actual birth uh we see a fox his carcass deteriorating it's yeah that's like
1: one of the i don't know when everyone's showing like if anyone's showing the evolution of life or something that that little shot it's like a fox that's dead and it's played in super fast motion of it deteriorating and being yeah rotting and decomposing and getting eaten by everything
0: it's disgusting because it starts to swell and then it like kind of explodes with maggots and bleh um and then we cut to a sweaty date where he's talking to i'm assuming some kind of not not an agent but she works for the she's an executive executive there uh played by tilda swinton and uh we also hear that i want to say nicholas cage but charlie is talking about how he's bald he's fat and uh she she probably sees that he's sweating and he's like trying to convince himself to stop sweating and he's, you know,
1: neurotic again. Overly self-conscious. And yeah. Oh, she just looked at my
0: hairline. Yeah. She,
1: she thinks you're bald. And then she just goes, I think you're great.
0: He's like, oh, okay. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, they talk about this book, The Orchid Thief, and uh, how they want him to adapt it into a screenplay. Um, Which is a real book. It's a real book. And... Susan Orlean, like I said, is a real person. So the adaptation is a story about adapting a book to screen while adapting that book. So he's adapting the story of him adapting the story. It's very meta. It's extremely meta. It's probably the most meta movie I've yes. ever seen. Yeah. Which is funny because I think this is around when I saw this the first time. It was around the time I saw uh, Everything Everywhere All at Once, which can be very meta at times. So it was like seeing those two movies near each other was kind of trippy. It made your head explode, I mean, Exactly. And then confetti. Uh, Charlie talks about how he doesn't want to cram sex and life lessons into it. He wants it to be pure. And he reminds me in this moment of Richard E. Grant in The Player. Have you ever seen the movie? No. Robert Altman? Mm-mm. It's it's fine. It's not as great as everybody makes it out to be. But I like Richard E. Grant. And he's, he's a writer. It, I, do you know about the movie? No. It's from the point of view of an agent played by Tim Robbins. And in the movie, there's a writer played by Richard E. Grant. Uh, do you know who that is? No. Should I think of something you would know him from? He was in. He led
1: the South to victory,
0: right? <laughs> no. Uh, he's uh, in. He's the main bad guy in Logan, if you remember that. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. He was also in. Uh, he got an Oscar nomination for. Um, I forget the name of it. The Melissa McCarthy movie where she forges famous letters.
1: I know what you're talking about. I don't, yeah. I don't know what that's called. He was great. Ugly around. Betty, I think it was called. <laughs>
0: um, so yeah, the, the idea, because he's like, in that in that movie, he's like, oh, we got to do this. I don't want some cliche this and that to happen in the uh, in the movie or her to be saved at the last second from death row. I want her to actually die. And then the phone call comes from the governor. And, you know, he's this uh, artist who I'm trying to think of the the word that I want to use. Were, uh,
1: not really a, pre- pretentious but a purist. a purist
0: yeah he's uh but of course he sells out in in
1: that movie spoilers great <laughs> now i'm never going to see it
0: uh, it's a, it's a small subplot in comparison then we cut to 3 years earlier at the New Yorker New Yorker magazine where we see Susan Orlean is writing her book and Susan is uh, played by Meryl Streep she's one of the most successful actresses or actors of all time she's won 3 oscars and nominated 18 other times, one of them being for this movie. Uh, some of her movies were Out of Africa, Sophie's Choice, The Devil Wears Prada, Mamma Mia, Into the Woods, The Lady, The Iron Lady, The Post. You, you know, throw a rock and you probably would land on one of her movies.
1: The Deer Hunter. Did you mention Yeah, him? did I mention I didn't. I don't think you did.
0: No, she's great in that. Yes, yeah, she is. What is your favorite Meryl Streep movie? Performance, well, I'll say. Devil Wears Prada. Really? I love that movie i haven't seen it since it came out she is great in that i feel like after that movie though she kind of took on those same kind of roles of just this very mean old lady yeah mean old lady very powerful like because this is four years before that i think devil wars prada was like 05 or 06 and so before that to have roles like this is such a weird contrast between that and like in the post or the iron lady um I didn't mention Nicolas Cage, what he's been in, but who doesn't know
1: Nicolas Cage? I think I've heard of him before.
0: <laughs> What's your favorite Nicolas Cage performance?
1: Um, if I'm being serious, probably leaving Las Vegas. I if I'm them, not to watch it. Superman Reborn? Is that what I <laughs> was It was gonna
0: called? be called Superman Lives. Oh, okay. Or also a potential title, but obviously he okay. didn't.
1: No. Um what else is he great in? Uh
0: he's in Rares in Arizona, but that was early valley girl um con air you see him for like a split second in fast times at richmond high yeah he was going to play the judge Reinhold character but he's too young to play it.
1: yeah um no complaints he's he's gone overboard now he's kind of like sure. steven seagal um he loves to
0: he loves to act and i really feel that from him even if he give, doesn't give the best performances sometimes yeah or if he's getting what seems like an obvious paycheck i think he just loves to act um the unbearable weight of massive talent i think comments on that and he's just great in that movie too also playing a dual role
1: yeah i've heard a lot of his last movies like that movie pig i think it's called yeah i, I think
0: the, he's great in pig i
1: heard that was really good um i hear
0: mandy's great Mandy, i've owned it yeah, for a, a while one. i want it i want to watch it my favorite performance i've said it a million times is match men
1: yes of course yeah. that's another really good one
0: yeah uh face off but that's just him just going crazy that's you know, I could the you
1: eat a peach for hours
0: <laughs> the john woo um michael bay movies that he did in the 90s mm-hmm. are just they're just fun yeah they are if you want uh look up a compilation of what is it called like nicholas cage loses his
1: shit yeah <laughs> <laughs>
0: Oh, and am I a fucking retard, man? Am I a
1: fucking retard? all? Oh, I know what this is. You're trying to snub me out because of this crazy little man you've been around. Well, feed that fucking friends, man. <laughs> Someone's trying to kill me, man. You oh, fucking hangers. It never just goes away. That goddamn contract is somewhere in the goddamn fucking files. Fuck! Fuckers! Fuckers! Fuck! Fuck Fuck you! Fuck you! Fuck you! Fuck Mexico! Horseshit. Hi, fucking y'all! You ever been dragged to the sidewalk and beaten till you pissed blood? Now, fuck you! Fuck! (laughs) Fuck! Ah! (laughs) Ah! (laughs) Ah!
0: We've mentioned the one from *Vampires Kiss* where he's doing the alphabet. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, he's he's a lot of fun, and he's a lot of fun in this movie, giving a dual performance. And I think he's great in both performances. Uh, we see two years before that with uh, State Road ninety sorry State Road twenty nine in Florida. Chris Cooper is driving a van full of fertilizer and other gardening equipment, and he's listening to Darwin, like a book on tape of, I guess. Forget the name of Darwin's famous book.
1: Don't tread on me. <laughs> no. <laughs> uh,
0: then we see him in a swamp. We barely see anything about him in like less than 10 seconds, but we already know so much about him. We see the fertilizer, see him, the car he's driving, what he's listening to.
1: The visual clues.
0: The, yeah, all the visual clues. And uh, so we see him in this uh, swamp and they find an orchid that they call the ghost or the ghost orchid. I've, there's a scientific name they probably mentioned a few times in the the movie, but who cares? <laughs> uh, one of his partners cuts it down. His partners are um, Native, or as they refer to in the movie several times as Indian, which not from India, from Native Americans, whichever you prefer to say. And then uh, Park Ranger catches him and uh, questions him about the plants they take. It's a state preserve they're in, so the idea is, like I guess any preserve is to preserve what's inside it you're not supposed to take anything in right. from there you're not supposed to destroy anything um uh, but uh he uses a loophole in the law because the natives are allowed to take whatever they want and the law can't stop them so that's why he uses natives
1: mm-hmm.
0: and we find out later there's a reason why they are helping him out or maybe that part isn't real we'll see we'll find out. uh charlie goes home and you find out that he has a twin brother played by himself <laughs> <laughs> i meant to say his name is donald uh and i as i mentioned during the release of this movie he tried to charlie actual charlie kaufman tried to convince the world that he had a twin brother who hides in the shadows like Batman Man, literally <laughs> um he to donald reveals to him that he's going to become a screenwriter like charlie uh, he takes this three-day writing seminar and he says something he uses the word industry and there's this running gag that Charlie says, don't say
1: that, don't say that. It reminds me of uh,
0: Arrested Development, where he says, don't say OC,
1: or the OC. Yeah, there's a lot of those recurring gags. That's one of the things I love mm-hmm. most about Arrested Development. Yeah,
0: but he says, don't say industry on this one. Uh, Charlie thinks there are no rules to writing, and that it's a scam, the uh, seminar. He thinks is a scam, and there are the people that are like, there are no rules to art or writing or any of this, uh, but there are. Now, is there secrets to writing a great script? Kinda. There's something called save. What are the secrets? <laughs> There's a a million books about it. I have a couple of them. In fact,
1: ooh, I have the, one right here in my back pocket. Honestly,
0: I thought about bringing um, the book we see in the movie, but I realized I don't have an actual physical copy. I only have it on Audible. Story by Robert McKee, uh, who's another real character, another real person, uh, character that is real. Yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll get to we'll get to him. Uh, because it's Brian Cox and he's he's amazing.
1: I love Cox. Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm lifting that one and I'm saving that for a nice occasion.
0: I said it nice and subtly too.
1: Yeah, Gaddy, um, how was your week? I love Cox.
0: Gaddy, <laughs> why don't you say anything? I like Cox.
1: <laughs> I have you saying it too. <laughs> Shit. Blackmail back and forth.
0: Yeah. People are going to think things uh and then donald says no not rules they're 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 what are called principles which is true because there are principles there's like i said something called save the cat where most movies kind of fall into this general outline of how the story should go when you know the midpoint i've mentioned many things like this the theme getting stated early on in the movie um yeah So you can go out there. You can find Robert McKee's book. You can find the the book called Save the Cat. There's like a list of Save the Cat books, but the original one is just called Save the Cat, I think. Um, What one do I have at home? It's... I forget. It's called Screenplay, but it's by a a famous author. And I have another one about the different acts and all that stuff. Um, But my main point of bringing this up and... Talking about it and highlighting it is the fact that, yes, there are rules. And if you want to break the rules, you've got to know what the rules are in order to break them. And that goes for most art. Mm, Yeah. And that's why we go to film school. Yeah. And blow all that uh, loan money on it. But if we didn't, we wouldn't have met each
1: other. That's very true.
0: Uh, We go to a party where he's with a girl named Amelia. I don't know why I hesitated to read that. Uh, there's obviously sexual tension between them. She seems to like him. He seems to like her, but he doesn't allow himself to get close to her because of all his insecurities. Uh, then we finally get to see him trying to write. He has writer's block and he says in his ice cream, man, he says in his uh, narration, his, his Voice over. voiceover is uh inner monologue that uh, he should write something and reward himself with coffee. Which is a technique I've used on myself, because I've been known to write a thing or two. Not really so much in recent history, but
1: unfortunately. Mm -hmm.
0: I agree. Which is sad, because I do have ideas. Should we wait for this guy?
1: Honestly, you probably won't even be able to hear him, because I feel like every time we pause for something, it's like on the actual episode, I can never hear what we were pausing for. And I'm like, why are we stopping? I'll
0: leave that in. So if you guys can hear in the background, it's because we assumed...
1: You not be be. to here. Yeah.
0: Although the window's open and he's getting closer, but we'll see. And he also talks about how he needs to establish the themes, which is a very important thing in a story that it has a theme that you should follow or that is overcome, or that they the characters overcome
1: by the end of the story. By yeah. the end of story,
0: and we learn a bit about his the history. We learn a little bit about the history of the orchid, and it's people hunting it and people dying for it, and it's pretty. Uh, Pretty gnarly, just for mm, flowering, yeah. And that's part of the the story's theme: is the desire for something like this, and is it worth it? Is it are they just wasting their lives for for nothing? Uh, we cut to six months later from the time in Susan's timeline, so it's like three years prior, six months after that. It gets a little confusing with the timeline. It all takes place in the '90s, though. Uh, Where We go to the trial of what happened with uh, what we saw earlier with LaRoche, is his name, John LaRoche. And uh, he calls himself the smartest person he knows, which says a lot about him. As a person that he may be smart, but he's also very cocky, mm-hmm. very sure of himself. Maybe not arrogant, but definitely sure of himself. And after the trial, Susan and LaRoche meet for the first time. She kind of talks down to him. She assumes that he's... Not the smartest man like in the white world. White
1: trash. That's not, yeah.
0: Yeah. Cause he looks it, he's missing his front teeth mm-hmm. and you're just thinking it's just, Oh, he's just some guy who lost his teeth and he's just never replaced them. And so Charlie starts writing his screenplay and then he uses a map for uh, further research, which is something you should do. And it's actually mentioned in one of the 10 commandments uh, to do research. And he uh, finishes a paragraph and takes a break. And in that paragraph that he's writing, it's the first thing we see of LaRoche. He's on that highway the 29 in uh Florida Florida and describes exactly what we saw which is going to be repeating every once in a while. Charlie's back on a quote unquote date with Amelia. He's driving her and uh he's he acts a lot more like Donald when he's with her cuz usually he's just like oh, I don't know what, should, what what should I do and you know and then but when he's with her he's just like smiling he's just natural. He seems normal, yeah. yeah. Until it comes to certain moments that we're going to have like in this scene. Um, Amelia is played by Cara Seymour. Seymour? Probably Seymour. Uh, she was in a movie that we've definitely both seen. Do you know who she was? Who uh, she is?
1: I, I, I know her face and when I hear it. Because I was thinking about that. I was like, where, what has she been in? She's been in a it was thousand a, different things. There's
0: a movie right before this. Like two years before this. Maybe a year before this. I
1: mean, I know that doesn't help you out. No,
0: it doesn't at all. <laughs> she played Christy in American Psycho.
1: Oh my God! Really? Yeah. That's not yeah. a, that's not at all what I was thinking of. Yeah,
0: these these two movies are those two movies are her top two. So this one and then American she wasn't Psycho. in
1: anything bigger, anything else bigger.
0: Not on IMDb. Interesting. I don't know, like, that's not what it said. I'm trying to remember. Christy,
1: what... don't just look at it. Eat it. <laughs>
0: yeah. <it's> a... <laughs> She was also in Hotel Rwanda and You've Got Mail. Okay, wow. Those were her four big movies.
1: I had no idea.
0: trying to think. I'm scrolling very quickly through. And Education, if you remember that movie. I remember liking it, but I never need to see it again. The Nicole Kidman movie from 2004 called Birth. Oh, she was in Gangs in New York. Hellcat Maggie. Same oh, here.
1: yeah, she had The, the Claws. I've, I haven't
0: seen that movie in, like, 15 years.
1: The Metal Claws, yeah.
0: Uh, she was also in Dancer in the Dark. She played Linda.
1: Okay. So, All right.
0: That narrows it down for all of you guys, I'm sure. Uh, b- 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 There's an obvious sexual tension between the two of them, and uh, he ruins it by being Charlie, by being himself. Uh, he invite after he... He talks, he's, what he, how he ruins it is he says that, oh, I, you know, I, I should probably get home. I need to go to bed because I need to get up and start working on on the screenplay. Like he's making excuses not to go inside and be, be with her. And uh, so she's just dis- obviously disappointed. And then he invites her to go to a uh, orchid festival. festival in Santa Barbara. And she says she's busy, but doesn't want to
1: elaborate as to what what she's doing she's like, yeah. no it's not gonna work i uh i have something
0: yeah so she's obviously upset doesn't want to base i don't know i don't know how i want to word this because it's not like she's being vindictive or anything but she's just kind of over it mm-hmm. and understandably so Charlie also talks about how, after she leaves the car, he talks about how that he should go back to her door, knock on, knock on the door, and uh, kiss her. That'd be romantic. But then he leaves.
1: He <laughs> doesn't end up doing it.
0: Uh, back to Florida, three years prior, Laroche is uh, much more confident man, a much more confident man than Charlie. Because now we cut to a scene with Laroche and Susan in the car together, and he's obviously very confident in himself and uh, just in general. And he talks as much as Charlie does in his inner in monologue, but without thinking about it, kind of just—not word vomit, but pretty close to yeah. it.
1: Yeah.
0: Uh, he looks—he's uh, looking for a very rare orchid, which I'm trying to think. Because is he looking for just more ghost orchids, or is he looking for something else? I think
1: he wants to cultivate them.
0: Right, because he, he thinks he's the only person who he literally can says save he's them. the only person yeah. in the
1: world who can save them. Forget botanist or horticulturist, horticulturalists.
0: Yeah, and she writes; she's writing down notes about him in a very negative way, including saying that he has delusions of grandeur and that he smells. Yeah, the car has a funny smell, which makes sense because it's
1: always full of fer- fer- Oh my god, I can't speak fertilizer.
0: <laughs> I can never speak. Uh, we go back to Charlie reading the book about the same scene we just saw, and uh, which happens a lot in the movie. keeps cutting back and forth. And uh, Donald's in the room with him, and he's on the floor reading story by Robert McKee, which I mentioned already in this episode. I don't remember listening to the audiobook, but I think it's only like six and a half hours long. So Only. Yeah. Well, I mean, as far as audiobooks go, that's nothing.
1: That's true. I think I listened to The Shining. That was the only audiobook I've ever listened to. In all. Really? It like, was like, I'll never listen to it again. It probably took me like four weeks to get through it.
0: I have so many. I've listened to all the Harry Potters just because it's just so much more efficient for me. Because, I mean, you are a much better reader, much quicker reader than I am. Yeah. And I'm not a very good, not a not a great reader. I'm trying to see one I just listened to recently. Best movie year ever is ten, nearly 11 hours long. And that one took a minute. But I have other movies. There are other books like Easy Riders, Raging Bulls, which is 23, nearly 24 hours long. I have Robert McKee's other book, which is 11 hours long, called Dialogue. So, yeah. Okay. Audiobooks are long, is my point. Uh, Donald uh, says he's going to pitch his screenplay tomorrow. And Charlie
1: says, don't say pitch.
0: Which is funny, because it's like, Why not? Why don't say these words?
1: I think because he doesn't want him using like, well, he doesn't want us to say the industry, but like industry, like buzzwords or whatever. It's like, dude, you're not a part of it. Like, don't be saying these things because you're not a writer. You're not in, you know, in the industry. Yeah, he doesn't want
0: him to have delusions of grandeur.
1: Yeah. Because
0: he thinks, he thinks very low of Donald uh, throughout the whole movie.
1: Probably could hear it
0: now. Probably hear it now, yeah. And he also Donald brings up Donald brings up their mother and mentions that uh, she says it's his screenplay is Psych- uh, Silence of the Lambs meets Psycho, which is the way you pitch something. You go, okay, I have the story. It's Silence of the Lambs meets Psycho, which is weird because they're very sim not not too similar. They're different enough, but it's like. You won't, if you're going to come in with that kind of pitch to start it off with that tagline, it should be something com- two different com- movies completely. Mm-hmm. It's like it's like ordinary people meets the
1: Matrix or Star Wars meets
0: Cool Hand Luke. Debbie
1: does Dallas.
0: <laughs> we both went for uh, movies with name t- or names in the title, uh, but I just have Cool Hand Luke on the mind because it just came out today, and I'm like, should I get it? Not for like 34 bucks on Steelbook. That's insane. Unless it was a movie I loved, but I don't because I haven't seen it. Anyways. Babylon. Yeah.
1: I still need to buy it.
0: I want to buy the Steelbook, but I don't know if it's worth it. I don't think it is. I could just wait for the Steelbook. Yeah, or same. Either for the Steelbook to go down or for the regular 4K to go down. I already said all. Oh, there we go. We go back to the past in Florida to let see, I, in my brain I read it so easily, but now I'm looking at the word again. Seminole Nursery, which is John's uh, nursery. Uh, but he's not there today. I can't remember why he wasn't there. She meets a, a native named Matthew, and he's just kind of like staring at her and compliments her hair in kind of a creepy way. What seems creepy in that scene, but after a later scene you find out why he's acting like that and he says to her i see your sadness
1: yeah i wrote that and the whoever that actor is does an amazing job because he like looks at her and then he almost breaks down into tears it's like really really great acting and he looks at her and he kind of like smiles while he's got like tears welling up in his eyes Mm -hmm. it's really good I mean, it's like such a random scene but i like that was one of my favorites in this movie to be honest with you
0: <laughs> i don't know if that's an insult or a compliment but i, I guess think we'll it's take, a compliment we'll it complimented on. on on him yeah, yeah
1: whoever that is uh
0: and he says that he's not going to give her he's not going to talk to her because uh you're not going to get much information out of me or something like that because it's the indian way yeah and then he walks away all slowly uh we see the flower show which uh oh the fl- this is a different flower show Not the one in Santa Barbara. Maybe it is Santa Barbara. Well, that wouldn't make any sense because he's in Florida, but you get my point. It's a a flower show with uh, Susan and John and he's talking about Darwin and there's this really kind of sweet moment of uh, flowers looking like insects so that the insects want to mate with the flowers so that way they can pollinate. And, And that's how life is made now the world lives
1: that's um a really great little it's kind of like a like a montage of like bees pollinating mm-hmm. and um chris cooper or laroche's like narrating over it and then um he's talking about how bees unknowingly like help the world survive and the things mm-hmm. that they do in this little dance that they do and he says like how could they know because of their little dance the world lives mm-hmm. it's like wow do you remember when the bees were like endangered and yeah? Like I'm sure scary. they are. I'm sure they still, still are, but it's scary. Yeah,
0: because yeah, it's true. Because there was there was this cartoon thing where it was scientifically accurate versions of cartoons, so mm-hmm. like Sonic the Hedgehog, Ninja yeah. Turtles, Ducktales,
1: and it's all oh, I think f- I've seen yeah, fucked yeah, yeah. up
0: things. One of the things they had was Honey Nut Cheerios, and so they go to a lab and like the the honey is like dying. And the kids are just, you know, being 90s cartoon kids. They're just like, everything's great kind of attitude. Mm-hmm. And so the scientist is just like, just kind of like annoyed by the kids because of their chipper spirit. And he's like, no, like, this is a serious issue. And they're like, okay, well, if all the bees die, then we'll just have this great apple cinnamon Cheerios. He's like, no, stupid. They pollinate the, the apple trees, too. So without bees, we won't have apples either. And it's just uh, that moment that I remember. I'll maybe put it in if I yeah, can find it. you should.
1: Honey Oat holios, What a yummy part of a tasty breakfast. Made with real honey. From real bees. That's right, kids! Zizzy the Bee! You don't look so hot. Are you okay? I'm dying, and so are all my friends. So come on, finish that bowl of Honey Oat holios, and let's go! Wow, all the bees really are dying. That's right! We're making honey
0: for Honey Oat
1: holios, but we're surrounded by death. Check this out! from ccd it's known as colony collapse disorder
0: it hurts you as much as me because you just can't live without the bees i heard it's caused by pesticides
1: i heard cell phones
0: none of us know for sure so come with me and find a cure
1: zizzy has a parasite laying eggs in his brain that's why he started rapping bees don't rap if zizzy dies we're gonna have to switch to Apple Jolios! No, stupid. Bees pollinate apple trees, too. If they die, you can forget every flavor of holios. Einstein said that if the bees die, humans would be extinct within four years. Einstein never said that, but whoever did is exactly right. Is there anything we can do? Yes. Wait, what's that? Get the hell out of my lab and let me work! Welp, enjoy your breakfast. Are you going back to your hive now, Zizi? No, bees are altruistic, so I'm gonna stop the spread of this disease the only way I can, by dying alone. Goodbye, Zizi. Goodbye, kids. Oh no,
0: a closed window. How do I get out? Why must it end this way? Why must it always end this way?
1: Honey oat holios, all part of a nutritious breakfast. For now. Bees declining
0: at 30% a year. <laughs> just the way he says no stupid No stupid. Um, but yeah. And I, I, those orchids that, that do look just like those bees. I'm like, are those real?
1: Mm-hmm. I, yeah, they look strange. Uh,
0: I don't think I've ever... I've never seen them, but I don't really you know, look at a bunch of orchids. So. I'm not an that's expert. That's unfortunate. Uh, but, oh, yeah, so. uh, we go to a dinner party where susan is with her husband and friends and there's a bunch of rich pricks making fun of Laroche, and she's laughing too just to be you know under peer pressure because of all the people around her
1: do you know what rich pricks are in that on the oh my god at the (laughs) dinner table with them
0: like the actors or Mm -hmm. no i didn't recognize anybody
1: so one of them is david o russell and then one of them is curtis hansen the guy who directed la confidential and it's weird because he's not um he's not credited Weird. I was like looking because I was like, is that Curtis Hansen? Like, oh. it has to be because he has a very a distinctive right look. No, <laughs> that's, that's <laughs> Chris Hanson. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, so I looked at that and I was like, I I knew David O'Russell. so he has a, kind of a punchable yeah. face. He looks very much like Darren Aronofsky, right? He's kind of a prick. Yeah. Well, he's not kind of. He is a prick. Yeah, he's a prick. Anyways. Um, but yeah, they were both at the table. So I was like trying to see if I could I, identify anybody else, but I couldn't. Just those two. I'm
0: sure there are probably more. But yeah, they're just laughing about the idea of LaRoche. One woman's like, why doesn't he get his teeth fixed? Like, it, uh, I'm thinking maybe he can't afford it. Yeah. Because dental... I mean, it may be easy for you to get whatever dental work you need.
1: Your veneers.
0: Yeah. So why don't you just chill, you privileged <laughs> bitch. Uh, but he, uh, also she says something about like... Why does she make? Pe- why does he make? See, I'm doing what you used to do. Uh, why does he make people look at them? And which is like just the the snottiest. Thing yeah, like for he's a person like, hey, same.
1: look at my teeth. It's like, no, he's just
0: it's like you need to get your ugly fixed so that we don't have to look at him. It's like Jesus Christ. Uh, Susan leaves the the party to go to the bathroom real quick. She actually kind of tells her husband not to talk about the the van. Like, let's kind of change the subject. She leaves during the party, and he starts telling anyway. And she's like, oh, no, stop, you know, kind of laughing about it. But when she gets to the, the bathroom, she her mask is removed, and she just
1: You can gets, tell she feels remorse about what she said or what yeah. she wrote.
0: And she starts talking about how she has no passion in life, which makes her very sad. And that's what her sadness is. Not just she, she's tired, like she mentions to Matthew earlier, but because she has no passion. She sees all these people who are willing to die for a flower because they want the flower so much. And she even says that she wishes she can want something as much as people want these flowers. And there's a scene later. I don't think I, I don't think I wrote it down where she talks about, she talks to LaRoche about his different ventures in the past before, uh, orchids. And she says, like, how can you just give up a passion like that so easily? Because he was into fish. He was into
1: collecting fossils.
0: Fossils, that's right, like turtles and stuff like that. And he's like, I, just, I can't remember his exact reason for giving it up, but he's so stern about his idea of giving it up that he's just like, fuck fish. And he tells himself that he'll never stand in the water again and like, 20 years later, he still hasn't done that and when he's, he's like in like, Florida, I, I in Miami.
1: The, I love the ocean, but I still, to this day, have not set a toe in there. That's how much I say fuck fish, whatever he says. That's, um, I understand his plight. Yeah. That's actually that next scene. There you go. Um, Being stern in your convictions and yeah. holding on to your grudges.
0: Which is a thing in story. A characters usually have a want and a need. His want is to get as many of these flowers as possible what does it need probably to not be alone just like uh susan feels he put on his
1: psychiatrist hat today
0: who me yeah. <laughs> well it's the the idea that's the big thing about this movie because uh, i mentioned in my notes later that not only is this an adaptation of the orchid thief by susan orlean thank you you're about to say it. <laughs> Susan Arlene, but this is also kind of an adaptation of story by Robert McKee. The story structure, the characters, he McKee later yells, if your character doesn't have want or need, then what the fuck is he doing or whatever he says? Why are
1: you wasting my fucking precious two hours? Yeah.
0: We'll get to that. Well, I'll put the clip in when we get to that scene. Uh, we go to a diner. I wrote dinner because... Maybe an autocorrect, or maybe I messed up. Who knows? Where Charlie's by himself, and he orders
1: a small piece of key lime pie from Kitty from Arrested Development. Um, yep,
0: yeah, Arrested Development. She's also in the Ant Man movies, and uh, it's Judy Greer. She's in uh, Kidding, which is directed or co-created by uh, Michelle Gondry, mm-hmm. which is on Showtime. So get on that, man. I know. There's only like 20 episodes, but I think there might be like 44 minutes each. Yeah. But no, it's great. It's a great show, and she's great in it too. Um, he <laughs> he talks about how he's going to an orchid show, or, or they they start to connect on about orchids. She's an wa- she's a waitress, which is a job where you get tipped. So she's being friendly. She's doing her job very well, mm-hmm. to the point of where Charlie thinks that she's flirting. Yeah, b-
1: know, borderline flirting,
0: or interested at least. And then he... uh is, They're at the, the show. That's what it is. They're at the Orchid show. And you're like, okay, that was quick. And then they go find a secret spot. And she starts taking off her shirt, which reminded me of Arrested Development. Because <laughs> she would always... Spring be break! <laughs> and then... she knock at the door. And he cut to Charlie in his room by himself. Trying to pleasure himself. And he was imagining all this in his bed. And he's alone. And... uh. Donald comes in and he's like, <laughs> Charlie's just like, I can't remember exactly what he says. I'll just put it in the clip. But he's like, go away. Because could you just imagine being interrupted in that moment? Which is a scene in Eternal Sunshine. Mm-hmm. So I'm wondering how many other movies does he
1: have masturbation in that he wrote? And could... getting interrupted and being embarrassed
0: by it. Yeah. So
1: I'm wondering if being
0: John Malkovich... I don't remember there being that kind of scene in being John
1: Malkovich. Yeah. I don't think so.
0: I mean, there's the scene where um, Cameron Diaz is in Malkovich's mind and he's drying himself and she's like, Ooh, I like that. I, I want to call that masturbation. <laughs> no. Anyways, Donald wants to uh, pitch his script to Charlie, Charlie relents and lets him pitch it. And it turns out to be some cliche, multiple personality disorder movie. <laughs> I'll say that again. <laughs>
1: I just got a. I trust it was being really sweet to me acro- across the room. <laughs> she just flipped me off. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, yeah it was really sweet. Oh, we, <laughs> you, I was say we can pause it. No, I you can go ahead. It's fine. Okay.
0: No, I'm just trying to be respectful of the, the owners of the house. So... I'll say that part again. So he does pitch it to him, and it's this cliche multiple personality disorder character which i've written many times myself because it is such a cliche idea just like oh what if he didn't know that he had bought you know all this stuff i'm trying to think of a specific movie where that happens like identity with john cusack i don't remember that i haven't seen it but i just heard the story so where i think it turns out that spoilers all seven of them are the same person yeah i think that movie came out after this
1: isn't that movie Split?
0: With uh... Split is a little less... It, like It's not the twist that he has multiple personalities. Yeah, The twist of that one is that it's in the Unbreakable universe. But the uh, idea with that one, we find out early on. The next year, after this movie came out, is when Identity came Identity. out. So uh, could you imagine seeing adaptation and he's like, the only thing more cliche than... I forget which thing he says. Is multiple personality disorder. Yeah, and it's true, because I mean that's kind of the thing about uh, Shutter Island has a very similar idea behind it. So yes, it's been it's been done. It's been done to death, especially after this movie, it would seem. And Charlie starts ripping it apart, but he has trouble explaining his reasons for ripping it apart, and then he just relents and says, "Yeah, Mom's right. It's it's great," or whatever he says
1: psychologically taught
0: psychologically taught uh we go back to the diner again written wrong is dinner i must have been writing this last night when i was tired uh he comes for more cream
1: he comes for more cream what movie are you watching man
0: does was gonna say cream pie <laughs> <laughs> he came for more key lime pie uh probably just to talk to the waitress and uh they mention the idea of these flowers growing on the, the orchids growing on the branches of the trees. And it's called a epiphyte. And uh, he's really excited to say that, but he starts to ask her out and it gets real awkward as she realizes what he is asking her. And he stops in the middle of his sentence and starts apologizing. It's super embarrassing, especially when she goes to the other waitress and starts talking about him and points and the two of them look at her at him very judgingly very very awkward yeah. poor guy yeah so charlie's at the santa barbara flower orchid show or whatever and we hear susan's description of different types of flowers as he's seeing them in front of him and it transitions to charlie narrating the different women he sees and de- describing them in the same way with a uh, little I don't want to say taglines, but small descriptions of like the girl from high school with the creamy skin Mm -hmm. and stuff like that. Yeah, creepy ones for sure. And and stuff that, you know, a lot of men probably think when they see women in public. Mm -hmm. I'm saying I do. Basically, women, you don't want to hear, you don't want to know what's going on inside most men's minds. Fair assumption. But who knows what are going, what's going on in women's minds? You know who does? Mel Gibson. <laughs> Do you know why I left plants? That's what Chris Cooper, or I should say John LaRoche asks, because they're so mutable, which means liable to change. Or, as he says, adaptation. So it's not only adapting its multiple meanings to the word. Not only adapting the stories to film, but also the adaptation, the evolution, which we saw at the very beginning of the movie, and we also saw with uh, or with all the Darwin stuff getting mentioned. So, so the word is, has multiple meanings. I don't know what I was going to say. I was going to say malleable, but I didn't seem right. Adaptation as a human is worse as what Susan says to him or something similar to that because it's basically like giving up or, as she says, running away. Because you're just... Going, yeah, I'll, I'll adapt to the situation around me instead of trying to change the situation or go to a better situation. It's like giving up. Would you agree? I, I, <laughs> nah, I would. Okay. We're back to the uh, John Malkovich set, which this part I liked even more than the first time. Well, oh, you know, it was cool to see Malkovich be himself. But also this scene reminded me of film school where we recorded the scene. Yeah. Uh, I didn't know it was a raised set, which is pretty cool, but yeah. we saw this, the low ceilings and how they possibly did it. I'm not sure if that's exactly how they did it, which also makes me go, did they recreate parts of the set just for this movie? Did they still have the sets left over, or did he know what movie he was going to do next and said, hey, let's film some
1: Honestly, they probably just, like, rebuilt the sets, because yeah. it's, like, one small little like corridor. It's yeah. probably very easy. That's, like, you know, 30,000 of the 19 million dollar budget or whatever yeah. um
0: we see John Cusack and Charlie waves at him like like hey we're we co-workers we're uh colleagues and all that and Cusack just kind of looks at him and then looks back as if he didn't even see him <laughs> almost and uh Donald is talking and flirting with uh the makeup artist played by Maggie Gyllenhaal I think her name is Caroline in the movie that yeah that's right and we also see Catherine Keener, which is, it's kind of, it's trippy because it feels like, I feel like it's been longer than a year since we started recording. Like as far as when we like talked about being John Malkovich, but at the same time, it also feels like, oh my God, it's already been a year of, of episodes. So how do you feel about that? Well, I drink my drink.
1: It's yeah, it's been crazy. When you mentioned it last time we were recording, I was like, holy shit, no way, um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, if you think about all the episodes we've done and roughly, like, one a week, and we're at Mm -hmm. 40-something now, it kind of makes sense. But it's just, it's still crazy that we have been doing this for a year, and we still, like, haven't even scratched the surface of, like, the movies. Like, the movies are definitely probably going to go down in quality as we continue on. (laughs) I don't think so. (laughs) I just mean, I mean, because obviously we're we're recommending them because we like the movies, but I just mean um maybe critical acclaim let's put it that way like you can only do taxi driver once and the shining godfather blah 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 blah.
0: well we haven't done godfather and there are a million i think better movies in the movies we've talked about
1: yeah Um, i mean rules of attraction yeah it's not gonna win any oscars but (laughs) these are you know the most important thing i think for me is just like thinking of a movie that i really enjoy that you haven't seen like that's what i'm trying to
0: yeah doing that part the original idea of the podcast might be get get a little more difficult but hey we might you might bring in a movie that you've wanted to see that maybe i have seen that you just want to talk about so who knows we can mm-hmm. we can adapt wow. <laughs> wow, we uh but it's uh it, like i said in my notes it's weird seeing a movie we talked about and we already but it's like seeing it from a different angle because it's, it's kind of like back to the future too yeah you used to back to the future one you revisit or you, it, but it's you, like, yeah, yeah, from a different point of view. Um, uh, and then Donald comes over to Charlie and asks, I need a cool way to kill people. So he's like, I, That's not what I do. And eventually he relents and starts talking about uh, the killer, like, removes a small piece of the chunks of his body, chunks of the body of the victim until they die. And we all he's called the deconstructionist. <laughs> And Donald is like, that's great. He's like, I was joking. But he ends up using it anyway. Yeah, he does. With a slight change. Yeah. Uh, we go back to their house and Caroline's there now with Donald as he writes. And Charlie is upstairs having trouble writing. Because now he can just hear them talking, making all the a bunch of noise. There's another party. I feel like he goes to, goes to parties and stuff quite often. But I guess you need a distraction. speaking of uh, amelia is there with another guy david it's the
1: fucking most boring like
0: i feel like the guy was in a bunch of commercials i know for sure he was in seven in fight club i think he's the uh the airport guy really uh, at uh who when um
1: when he's on the phone the narrator or, yeah, when yeah. he loses his bag really yeah this guy looks like he's like 47 years old fat balding wearing glasses just like the most plain well
0: yeah fight club was 99 so just three years prior okay yeah
1: all right all right yeah yeah. you know for sure that's him
0: yeah because i looked it up i am like i've seen this guy a million times i feel like i've seen him in commercials more than in movies but then it said he was in seven and fight club i'm like oh well he must do you know what he did in seven Uh, let's see i'll just he's probably like some background character oh
1: don't worry about it it's fine
0: No. (laughs) Anyways, uh, he's trying to write. He goes back to trying to write. And uh, Darwin gets brought up, apparently. And, you know, he's trying to read Darwin's book that he forgot the name of it. And he's trying to get ideas from that. So then he starts recording ideas in which he describes the first scene where we see evolution and the dawn of man and jellyfish and all that he doesn't describe the actual bird thing or the horror of the fox donald starts talking to him about robert mckee again because he's still taking that seminar and charlie i don't say laments yeah laments about the fact that they share dna he said is there anything more lonely than that which i don't think i completely understand his meaning behind that
1: that he said that someone like someone so different from him came from the same dna and they share like you know everything like the same chemical construction but yet they're completely different and he just doesn't understand it and i think that depresses him that they're not more alike but i could be wrong
0: yeah i mean it's an interesting idea I, i i get what you mean and it's probably right but who knows Charlie
1: does Spike Jones knows.
0: I would hope Susan uh, calls LaRoche and she's in a nightgown that's slightly opened and he's wearing an open shirt and his pants are unbuttoned. So I'm visual clues as a, to a subtle sexual flirtation between the two of them, perhaps
1: visual. If his pants are already unbuttoned, that's not so subtle.
0: (laughs) Well, it's just, it's the point where like, unless you happen to look at that direction in that moment, You might not notice it.
1: Oh, you be looking.
0: Yeah. I like (laughs) (laughs) cocks. And and he describes what happened to his nursery. His previous nursery, not the one from before that Matthew was at. Uh, It would go back nine years prior to that scene. There's a car full of his family, his mom, his wife, his uncle Jim. Everybody's happy. We notice that he has his teeth. And so that kinda to me in the first it sounded like apparently <laughs> to me it felt like uh i felt a sense of doom yes i saw like his t- as and soon
1: I like, as as soon as they were setting up the shot of him getting in the car and i was like
0: it feels like early tim burton like you know the happy yeah. nuclear family yeah and, yeah and of course they get into a huge car accident I want to say it necessarily comes out of nowhere because I was expecting it, but I don't know. Did you?
1: The, when they do these kinds of things, like uh, the best example I can give is like uh, No Country for Old Men at the very end when yeah. he's driving down the street and he gets into a car accident. There's just a lot of cuts of someone just driving mm-hmm. and they're preparing you for something. So like they were doing the same thing in this. So I was like, yeah. they're going to get hit by a car. And he's obviously, when he's talking to her on the phone about it, He's morose about it and he's, you know, he's, he's going to tell a sad story. Mm -hmm. So (laughs) he, he, before he starts talking about it, he looks at a picture of his mom. Yeah. um,
0: Which I'm guessing is maybe another theme in this movie because Donald talks about their mother every once in a while. I don't think any other characters talk about their mothers though. Just the two usually. I can't think of anyone else talking about Mm -hmm. their mother. Uh, there's a lot of qu- quick cuts between, like the, like you said about the, all the cuts before, but like really quick cuts. There's one that was just like a frame long of his uncle and his mom, like freaking out. And I was trying to pause it in that moment. Like I kept going back and trying to pause it because it You're looks, sick fuck. it looked weird. And I wanted to see exactly what was going on, but I couldn't. Um, Then we, we, cut to a bunch of like quick shots too of an ambulance and the cops and the medics helping him out and we see laroche on a stretcher and he's trying to look and see
1: he's asking him which ones died
0: yeah he's like uh, which ones which ones are dead and he's crying and i'm just like in that moment i'm like okay this is this is probably my favorite acting moment for mm-hmm. chris cooper because yeah. it's so heartbreaking because his life is over whether or not he survives his life's over. And you can see that he's obviously missing his teeth now. Mm-hmm. Which, if you go back to that scene where that woman's like, why doesn't he get it fixed? It's like, it's, it's scar tissue.
1: I think he's also using that maybe as like a reminder. I don't know. Maybe I'm just looking deep into it. But he's using it as a reminder. He doesn't want to get it fixed because he doesn't want to forget. Yeah. Like, maybe. I don't know. He wants to
0: hold on to that, that, that pain, pain. Yeah. I mean, yeah. It's very, 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 very possible. Um, And he says that he killed his mom. And his uncle, which he didn't.
1: Yeah. He he bears the that weight on his shoulders yeah. of saying that he killed him, not like, I'm responsible for it or whatever he's like. He might as well have like shot him or something. He's to blame.
0: Yeah. He spoke ill of his, uh, his ex-wife in the past, earlier in the movie. And so you're just thinking, you know, you know she just left. And so screw her for leaving. Uh, come to find out she was in a coma for three weeks. And when she came out of the coma... She divorced him. Very fucked up. Yeah, which is a a fucked up moment. He holds, you know, a grudge against her for doing something so messed up because he just lost his mom and feels responsible, or at least takes the responsibility. And she's just like, you know, I'm out of here. It's like, why? And Susan says that if she was in an accident like that and almost died, I, I would leave my marriage too. And she described, she says that it's because it's a free pass. Because no one will judge you for it. Yeah. And he says, well, I judged her for it. Great line. And yeah, just great acting between the two of them. And then to add insult to injury, his nursery and everything else he had left, which in that scene, before, right before the accident, they describe, he says that his business is flourishing. And then Hurricane Andrew goes through and destroys all that.
1: And that's a great shot, too, when he's like crouched down, like looking at the the disaster zone that his mm-hmm. business has become and, like, the wind is blowing super hard and it's, like, super gray and ugly outside. It's just a really great yeah. shot in him just, like, kind of looking around and assessing. It's crazy. It's good. Mm-hmm.
0: And I do remember Hurricane Andrew. I remember that being, like, the first big hurricane I heard about in my childhood. It was in uh, August of 92, so I'm guessing you probably don't remember it. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh, you're younger than
1: Does, me. Doesn't it go... <laughs> Like alphabetically, yeah, and then they do boy, girl, boy, girl, like Andrew, I think so. Ida, blah blah blah, Deborah. I think Tressa's up next, Hurricane <laughs> Tressa,
0: <laughs> yeah. I guess Katrina's K, so yeah, maybe that was a
1: couple of years ago, <laughs> 10 years ago, I don't really fucking... 20 years ago, really 20 years yeah. ago. Holy shit, okay,
0: you know, George Bush doesn't care about black people, uh, so
1: yes, yes.
0: We see Susan meeting with Valerie Thomas, who's uh, Tilda Swinton's character, the executive. And the article for The New Yorker about LaRoche has been published now. It is called The Orchid Thief, and uh, they want to option the book because Random House wants to turn it into a full book, uh, whether or not there is actually a, a story enough to fill in the book, which comes into which gets mentioned later in a New York Times review. I don't think I have that written down, so I'll just describe it when Charlie later in the movie is trying to adapt it and he's like freaking out. He's like, I think he's talking to his agent and he's reading the New York Times article, a review of the book and the book and the article is talking about how it's, she's just kind of meanders and just adds a bunch of fluff and filler just to pad the book. It's wordy. Yeah. But most of those wording. Moments are what we hear. So, uh, when she hears that Susan hears that they want to option the movie, she's like, "Oh, I've never written a screenplay before." And she's like, "Oh, we have screenwriters to write that. Don't worry." And cut two, Charlie sitting at home trying to figure out how to write turn this into a screenplay, which is uh, probably my favorite cut in the movie. And then we get, uh, oh, Charlie gets a message from his agent saying uh, Valerie is getting anxious.
1: So yeah. he said that it's been 12 weeks. Yeah, he's been working on the script for a full year and he hasn't really written much. It's not really shown. It looks like he just starts over over and over so he could be mm-hmm. like have nothing written at all. So. Yeah. He can't find the hook. So
0: the mention of Valerie reminds him of uh who, you know, who he's talking about. So there's this scene where they're in bed together and she's reading the scripts and he's. And then did that
1: really ha- like, obviously does that happen or is he imagining it? He's imagining it. Cause, Cause of, he wakes up. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's the second time he wakes up and he's yeah. J O.
0: Yeah. But this time he's more successful uh, because in the, the dream or the, the daydream, I guess he's uh, imagining her saying that he's a genius and she's just like kind of unrealistically, Describing him like, Oh, you're such a genius, and then they cut or maybe even fade to them, uh starting to make love, and then cut to him in his bed by himself in the dark, and all we see is his feet mm-hmm. are his feet. And then he gets up, and uh we see that what gets up? He, <laughs> he stands up. Okay. Charlie does. And uh he I'm looking at him going he's
1: like kind of buff and fat at the same time that's what i asked Tressa. i was like he's wearing he's wearing a bodysuit right and trust said no he's not and i was like well his arms are like like toned like his yeah. arms have like good definition and his body just looks very strange so later i found out that he is wearing a bodysuit yeah it makes more sense because yeah.
0: like what else did he do that year
1: superman reborn
0: <laughs> they gave up on that by that point i know i know <laughs> <laughs> why did you say it like you're talking to your dog <laughs>
1: what my dog
0: yeah like you're petting your dog and the dog's like whining or something and you're like i know i know always says that. i know <laughs> this is around the time of wind talkers oh yeah that's a good movie and just before matchstick men so who knows like he didn't need to be buff and matchstick men and captain cora corley's men. mandolin, mandolin. Yeah. So, I forgot
1: about
0: that. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Movies, man. <laughs> All these movies. See, that's the thing about the Oscars back then. Let's let's spend an hour about this subject. But no, I just look back at some of those Oscar nominees
1: like... Was Windtalkers nominated or Captain Corelli's... Captain Ma- Corelli's, yeah. Whatever.
0: Was, I think he was nominated for it, but anyways. Uh, we see a quick st- stress-filled writing session of uh, Charlie's quick-cutting almost kind of like a montage and then it might just be him having a nightmare. Cause I don't know if you've ever had a situation where you started training at a, at a job and you start getting like having to remember all the different little rules, all the different little buttons you have to push or, you know, whatever thing you have to do at a, a a job near the beginning of your job of your career at that place, whatever the fuck I'm trying to say.
1: I like pushing buttons.
0: (laughs) And you, you, start to fall asleep and you start like going oh god i gotta do this i forgot oh just calm down really i feel like it's that kind of like fever dream almost like
1: i feel like yeah i've had those kinds of things where i guess it's just
0: a stress dream
1: yeah well specifically work related like thinking like like closing and yeah. like oh, did i lock up did yeah, i forget yeah, yeah. to did do I that put the thing? alarm code on i don't know that happened to me once where um i was closing and I wasn't sure if I had locked the the front door, mm-hmm. so I drove all the way from Huntington Beach home. And I drove, I I went home and I was like, I'm so scared that I didn't do it. So I drove, I turned around and immediately drove back to Huntington Beach, oh, and turns out the door was locked. I, uh, I did secure it. Yeah, but, but you could have slept better though. Yeah, exactly. I, I would I not have slept. Do you remember that, Treza? you went. She was nice. She went with me oh. when I came home.
0: We see him meeting with his agent, played by Ron Livingston, from Office Space. Probably the thing he's known for the best. Uh, and his agent's kind of a, a piece of shit. Because he keeps talking about different women. He, fucking him up the ass. Fucking him up the ass. Uh, and this is where Charlie says that the book has no story. And that's where he reads the the um, newspaper. newspaper. And uh, he feels a responsibility to Susan because he's ad- adapting her work. So he respects her as a writer. And he doesn't want to go, you know, he doesn't want to sell out and be cheap and all that stuff with uh, with the story natty subplots and making her look bad and all that dumb stuff that people do to screenplays.
1: But he also just wants to be, like, a purist. And he's like, yeah. nothing really happens in life, so, you know, nothing's going to happen in this story. You know, yeah. I'm just going to tell the story. There's not going to be any romance or car chases or violence or whatever. Yeah. yeah. Things like it... Uh...
0: Mentioned here and used later. Or will they?
1: Car chases and stuff. Anyways.
0: Uh Anyways. back at home, Donald's script is going amazingly and he even says so. And the it, the words and the ideas just seem to be flowing right out of him onto the the screenplay because he is doing the cliche sell out thing. And uh I wrote down that Charlie may be jealous, but at the same time, he looks down on Donald for writing such mainstream garbage. Uh, maybe Donald is part of Charlie's brain—the part that's saying, "Hey, let's just sell out. It'll be easier if you just do it this way, mm-hmm. and
1: all that stuff." Be more typical.
0: Yeah, just be like everybody else. Just make it, make a quick buck. You can do it, and then uh, yeah, you just easy payday. And that's where Donald says that he printed out uh, and posted a copy of Robert McKee's Ten Commandments for writing. And it's on his wall.
1: Do you know what the Ten Commandments
0: are? Not offhand. Do you have them written down?
1: No, I started looking at them when the movie was showing them. And one of them was like, thou shalt do thy research. Thou shalt know thy audience. Those are the only two I think that I got. Let's see. Number one, thou shalt not take the crisis slash climax out of the protagonist's hands. Number two, thou shalt not make life easy for the protagonist. Number three, thou shalt not give exposition for exposition's sake. Number four, thou shalt not use false mystery or cheap surprise. Number five, thou shalt respect your audience. Number six, thou shalt know your world as God knows his one, this one. Number seven, thou shalt not complicate when complexity is better. Number eight, thou shalt seek the end of the line. Number nine, thou shalt not write on the nose. I feel like those are different things. Don't write on your nose. Maybe. Number 10, thou shalt rewrite. That's one of my
0: biggest problems. See, the ones I have written, I just found... I feel like these are different than what you just said. Huh. Thou shall respect the audience. Thou shall research. Thou shall dramatize thine exposition. Yeah, this is what it said on the thing, but what you just said sounded different. And there wasn't anything I disagreed with. Hmm.
1: Okay. Well, I just googled it, and this is what came up.
0: Thou shalt not sleep with anyone who has more problems than thou.
1: <laughs> yeah, that sounds. <laughs> that's a good. Related, that's good advice. Yeah. Related for writing.
0: But technically, I guess that means that somebody in the relationship is sleeping with somebody who has more problems than them or thou. Yeah, but uh, like I said, good advice, good guidelines. You want to make sure that you're not just making something lazy and quick, which is what uh, Donald kind of makes. We also find out that Charlie hasn't slept in a week because that's what he says. Mm Mm-hmm. We see uh, Susan calling LaRoche again. Yeah, this is the second time, because th- the first time was with the uh, his backstory. LaRoche is getting into internet pornography, and at first I'm thinking he's, uh, like, just found it, and he's like, hey, this is fun. But no, he's actually, like, selling pictures of, of naked women in the early days of pornography, so this would probably be, like, 96-ish. So, yeah, the... The um,
1: pornography world is just beginning.
0: Well, not the pornography world, but I'm trying to think of the uh, the early days, but I'm thinking of like the Stone Age or something, I'm trying to get a little more dramatic with my wording, but no, no bueno. And uh, she talks about how she really wants to see the ghost orchid. He also mentions that he's selling the pictures, which is so interesting because back then you actually had to pay for to see that sort of thing, but. Not to get into too much detail. Uh, but he agrees to take her to see this special orchid. am I talking like this? Who knows? We see a glimpse of uh Charlie's insomnia and he's looking at the the dust jacket of the of the Orchid Thief book, and there's a picture of Susan on it, and he says he likes looking at her and then he starts getting a little personal with uh with just that image he's also imagining her giving him advice they're just like he's like i'm I'm fat and i'm ugly and i'm bald and she's like no no you're not like she's helping him so he's kind of idolizing her at this moment now even
1: though they haven't met
0: yeah exactly um the next morning he's getting coffee and Donald is uh is there with Caroline. I think he, isn't he like happier now at this point? Cause he's, he's come, he has like a breakthrough. Or yeah. Something in the story. And so Donald explains a, a chase scene that he's writing and Charlie kind of pokes a hole in it, but not being a complete dick and going, that's not going to work because he just goes and they're all the same person still. And he's like, yep. Okay, great. Okay. Uh So it's, you know, that kind of compliment. Uh He picks up an order at a restaurant, but he runs into Valerie. And uh, she's there with Susan. She's Susan at the time is on the phone, so he doesn't actually see her, but he sees like a shadow over by where the phones are that maybe that's her. And so the you know he's he's idolized or uh, whatever word I used earlier if it wasn't idolized Susan, and now he's afraid that he might actually see her and that image of her might be uh, broken in his mind. Um said that and then he leaves and it looks like he forgot his food because then also in the next scene he's he's eating eating, yeah but it's like a burger from probably like some burger place like in and out or something
1: so you think that he intentionally left the food and just went somewhere else to get it
0: he probably i'm thinking he i'm thinking he left and he's freaking out because he like completely forgot the whole reason he was there and then he got like a mile away and went damn it, i forgot my food Fuck my food i can't go back so whatever there's an in and out over here He's rich
1: anyway. Yeah,
0: exactly. And it's late '90s, so late '90s rich is like really
1: rich. Mm-hmm.
0: And he records more ideas into his tape recorder, and it becomes extremely meta. Donald, these uh, more scenes where he's talking about, oh, then this happens, and uh, Charlie, like he puts. This is, I think, where he starts putting himself into the story, and he talks about recording himself or recording his own ideas like the character of Charlie now, which uh, is very close to stuff that happens in Synecdoche in New York. That gets very meta as well. It's a very complicated movie. Donald finishes the script he's called it the three and he wants Charlie to take it to his agent and uh, the idea of a snake eating its own tail gets mentioned. It's how is it pronounced? the Ouroboros? The Snake Union Uh, Hotel? Oh,
1: yes, yes, yes. Ouroboros.
0: Yeah, there you go. And he says that he's in Ouroboros. He wrote himself into his own screenplay. And he's also going to go to New York to try to meet... Like, he needs... I think Donald convinces him that he should go to New York and actually talk to Susan.
1: And I think this is the major transition point in the story where the movie switches from being like Charlie's movie, like his normal screenplay mm-hmm. where like nothing much happens. Um, everything, you know, like he was saying, like real life, nothing, nothing really happens. Yeah. Um, and this is like the turning point for where the story starts to change into more like Donald's screenplay. And it mm-hmm. almost, it's one of those things where you think about, it, you're like, Oh yeah. And I was noticing this when I was watching the movie, I was like, Oh yeah, it's very interesting. So yeah. it's another layer to this.
0: Cause there's like one more story in the book uh, about trying to go see the story and um it says it's so here's here's what's, oh yeah, okay, so before she wrote the book, she was they were talking about optioning it for a movie, so she's telling she being I mean, Susan is telling um John about it being turned into a movie, and he's he becomes kind of obsessed with the idea of who's gonna play him. It's like, oh, yeah, who's gonna play me? if you've looked at a picture of the real John LaRoche. Doesn't really look anything like him. Mm-hmm. He actually looks like the guy who played Modoc in uh, Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania. <laughs> uh, actually, he looks like the uh, commissioner of basketball. He's kind of creepy looking and tall, skinny, and bald. So. Uh, we go to the swamp and they get obviously get lost. Even though LaRoche does, tries to convince her otherwise. Because she's like, I was thinking. He's like, oh, we're not lost. I know exactly where we're going. And uh, we see a lot of dissolves showing the passing of time. He tries to make a sundial, and that she looks at him at that moment and goes, "What the fuck am I doing? This guy is obviously out of his mind." And he like immediately accidentally kicks it over instead of uh, uh, like he says he's going to wait there for the sundial to see which way the sun is moving, and then we'll know which way is east, uh, and that's where, and then we'll be able to get back to where they're trying to get to, except for he's in the shade. There's no shadow for that sundial whatsoever. And like I said, he accidentally kicks it over. And Susan is obviously over it. And he calls her a spoiled bitch at one point because he gets frustrated with her. And he's like, basically saying he's just like everybody else. Just a, just a spoiled bitch. And he compares the ghost orchid to... Uh, we hear a comparison of the ghost orchid to uh, what I was saying earlier about Charlie not wanting to see Susan in person. Uh, it's been hyped up for her and now she's thinking if she actually sees it, it might just turn out to be less than the expectation, a big, huge disappointment. And Charlie is on the plane, finishing the book, finishing reading the book, which is in line with what you were saying about this is where the Charlie script ends and the Donald script starts to begin because they have to make up the rest of the story. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, We're in New York City now. Uh, He arrives at the New Yorker on the elevator, which also has other magazines there like Glamour. The door opens and he doesn't get out. The other passenger's like, oh, whatever. It must have opened for no reason, whatever. And they go up one more floor. The other passenger gets out. They go back down to the New Yorker. Door opens and Susan walks in. And he's trying to say something to her, but he's obviously too nervous still. And she even kind of like goes like grabs her purse or whatever. She's Clutch, afraid of him. clutches or pearls. Exactly. Uh, later that night, we get an a, His agent calls him and says that the three script, the three is the best script he's ever read or the script, best script he's read all year. And Charlie's like, what are you talking about? I don't know what that is. It's like your brother's script. He's like, oh, right. And he also suggests the agent suggests that Donald helps with the orchid script. And he, Nicholas, I wrote down Nicholas Cage. And Charlie is like, what? Don't even suggest that. Like that idea of him helping with something as serious and as, you know, um, highbrow as what he's writing is something that his brother would never understand. Uh, There's quick cuts between uh, three different shots where like one he's upside down, one he's like surrounded by a bunch of notes and another where I think he's actually trying to write and then he has like a mini little freak out, which is maybe even that compilation I talked about. So he relents and goes to the Robert Mickey semin- seminar, uh, the story seminar, and uh he has another neurotic freak out during the seminar, but only in his head. The voiceover is uh f- Flasks? I'm guessing flashes. Sloppy writing. Oh. Yeah, I think uh Flacid. Flacid flaccid, yeah. yeah. My my autocorrect changed flaccid to flasks.
1: Guess you don't have to use the word flaccid a lot, huh? Yeah,
0: I guess not. So as he's narrating in his head using voiceover, he's like, you know, I'm just going to get out of here. And as he starts to stand up, Robert McGee like looks right at him and he's like, and God forbid you use voiceover. It's flaccid, sloppy writing. And uh, yeah.
1: He knows. He could hear the internal monologue.
0: Mm-hmm. Because we see Robert McGee played by Brian Cox, and he's very bombastic. He's very, he's like a drill sergeant almost. Yeah. and With a weird accent. And what's funny is, it might be in your trivia, but Robert McGee actually did meet with Charlie Kaufman when they, he was writing this and said... Yes, you can. He's like your story is an antagonist, and he allowed him to be the antagonist of the movie.
1: Nice. They only had to pay him nine million, so that's cool. Is it
0: true? No, I'm kidding.
1: (laughs) But I'm sure
0: he got paid for it. Oh, I'm sure because they, you know, it's an uncredited adaptation of his book as well.
1: Yeah.
0: So, uh, Charlie asks in class. Wait, I already said all that. Okay. Charlie asks in class, "What if the writer wants to write a story to be more like real life, where nothing happens and no one changes?" And that's where. McGee really go, McKee really goes off on him, and says nothing happens in the world, and I'll just put the monologue. Yeah, in the it's, whole, uh,
1: yeah, it's really great.
0: Yeah. Yes, sir. What if a writer is attempting to create a story where nothing much happens, where people don't change, they don't have any epiphanies, they struggle and are frustrated, and nothing is resolved? More a reflection of the real world. The real world. Yes, sir the real fucking world. First of all, you write a screenplay without conflict or crisis, you'll bore your audience to tears. Secondly, nothing happens in the world? Are you out of your
1: fucking mind? People are murdered every day. There's genocide, war, corruption. Every fucking day, somewhere in the world, somebody sacrifices his life to save somebody else. Every fucking day, someone somewhere takes a conscious decision to destroy someone else. People find love, people lose it. For Christ's sake, a child watches a mother beaten to death on the steps of a church. Someone goes hungry. Somebody else betrays his best friend for a woman. If you can't find that stuff in life,
0: then you, my friend, don't know crap about life. And why the fuck are you wasting my two precious hours with your movie? I don't have any use for it. I don't have any bloody use for it. Okay, thanks. And explaining that people die, people try to kill people. There's
1: wars, there's genocide.
0: There's famine, there's you know, all the horrible things that happen in the world. It's kind of like what we were told in uh, the first quarter of directing class at school if you want to become a good filmmaker or a good writer or whatever, you should you know, get arrested and do all these like horrible things and that way you'll learn from them, which is a good and bad idea at the same time. I don't know
1: what classes you took. I don't remember It was that Pasternak's class. Pasternak? Yeah. RIP, Jim. Is he? <laughs> I don't know. We don't know if he's dead or not, but either way, rest in our memory. I've been meaning to check on that again.
0: Yeah, he did pass away. RIP. 81. He died, uh,
1: August. Yeah, Hmm. that makes sense.
0: In his trivia, he was a directing instructor at the Los Angeles Film School and the New York Film Academy. Wow. Uh, it doesn't say why he passed away. Oh, it's very sad. Because he was my teacher a few different times. Mm -hmm. Because I had the directing course. Mm -hmm. Or major, I should say. That's sad. Oh, after the big, long monologue, Charlie just says, Okay, thanks. It sits back down. Uh, Robert McKee, like I mentioned a few times, is played by Brian Cox, and I think this is a great character performance. You love Cox? Yes, I love Cox. Uh, McKee agrees to be Charlie's antagonist. I already said that. In the thing. Outside of the seminar, there's uh, a bunch of people waiting for him to say thank you and maybe get some autographs. I don't think he actually signs anything, but they're all just like, oh, thank you. He's like, oh, okay, thank you. And he starts to leave, and um, Charlie gets his attention and he says, I'm the guy you yelled at this, this morning. He goes, I need more. He's like about the, the world. And so he elaborates. He's like, Oh, okay.
1: Okay. Bye. And, and he's like, like, Okay. Well, thanks for, thanks for coming by. Yeah. He starts to walk away.
0: Uh, but he convinces him to give him advice for the script, script he's writing. And, uh, I almost said, Charlie, Charlie Cox, which is the guy who played daredevil. um, Robert says, I need a drink. And so they go to a bar and that's where he's explaining what he wants to write. And Charlie explains what he wants to do in the script. Uh, He wants to, I want to be, I want to present it simply without big character arcs or sensationalizing the story. And uh, McKee explains to him, well, you do need to do that. You need to have something. But his big piece of advice is, wow them in the end. If you have a big ending, then it's going to make up for anything earlier on. And he said, just don't bring in a deus ex machina.
1: Which is what?
0: It's the god machine, which the one I can think of the most is in Toy Story 3, where they're all about to die at the end. And a literal machine... The claw comes in and saves them. It's set up pretty well in the the three movies. However, it is a a god machine that saves them at the last moment. It's usually something unrealistic. So, yeah, it's it's a cheap cop out for ways of getting out of things. It's like uh, at the end of War of the Worlds, the thing I didn't like about the movie, I was like, wow, this is like, they're a real threat. How are they going to defeat these aliens? And then all of a sudden, oh, because of the common cold. Yeah. It's
1: like what? Wait, didn't it have something to do with water?
0: No, that was science.
1: Okay, I need to watch that movie again. Mm-hmm. War of the Worlds, especially since we drove through the <laughs> the back lot there. Oh yeah, you drove through
0: it, or yeah. just you're on the on the tour?
1: No, we drove through it. Trust and I, we went off roading.
0: Anyways. <laughs> Uh, so Charlie congratulates Donald on his script, Donald, as I was say, Don, but Donald on his script, I think you call him Donnie. and Kath. Eh? Oh, whatever. Who cares?
1: Maggie Gyllenhaal. Katherine
0: Keener is, oh. uh, there at the house and they're playing boggle. Maggie Gyllenhaal is there too. And he offers to hang out. He Charlie offers for Donald to hang out with him in New York to help him with the script. And uh, he says to him when he shows up, how would the great Donald finish the script? And he sa- says, you need to speak to this one. You need to speak to Susan and, uh, and figure this all out. So they come up with this idea where Donald's going to pretend to be Charlie. And Charlie's afraid that he's going to get his reputation ruined. So he tells Donald, "Like you can't be a goofball. I have a reputation and all that. So then we see him talking to susan and he's very charismatic because it's it's donald instead of uh, charlie and she says that oh my relationship with laroche ended when the book ended and uh he asks her if you can meet some have dinner with somebody historical uh, living or dead who would it be she says einstein or maybe jesus which is the most generic answer ever. And mm-hmm. Donald knows this almost immediately. Uh, and he comes back and says that she's lying. And she has uh... Oh, yeah. So he says that she's lying. And in this moment, well, in this scene, you can tell that they have like two totally different personalities. And it's very, very well acted by both of them. So Donald wants to spy on her. So they go to a building across the way, which somehow they have access to in the middle of the night and these binoculars to see Susan who's crying in her office. And then her, uh, uh, she's like on the phone at one point. They're not sure why. And then her husband shows up in the office and he, Donald says that she's hiding something from her husband. Uh, back in the hotel room, they Donald decides to look at the porn site and right on the front page. There's uh Susan, uh, topless, mostly topless mostly mostly topless so that's why oh like he's reading her her lips to to see like something about miami and so charlie's like oh her parents live in miami and he's like well no that wasn't a parent call so they decide to follow her all the way to miami when they're at the airport which they happen to get there before her somehow but i digress uh they They see
1: they took the private jet
0: yeah, of course. They, they see, uh, what's his face? LaRoche. LaRoche, pick her his up. His van. His van, the iconic van. And they follow them for a very, very long time. But I did forget to mention one thing. That uh, we see what really happened in the swamp? Question uh, mark. She lied to, she says that she lied to everybody. And in her book that she actually did see the, the flower, but it was just a flower. And uh, he ends up taking it without
1: the help of uh, any natives. So, did that really happen? Unreliable narrator. Who knows? Who knows? Uh,
0: we also, uh, in that scene, they find out that the reason why the natives want the flowers is because they can extract a drug from it. Uh, I don't think they, he specifies which drug, but they turn it into a powder and snort it like cocaine, which she ends up doing. When she's in her hotel room. And it kicks in when she's brushing her teeth. She starts tripping out on the sound of the brushing of the teeth. Uh, She really trips out on the dial tone of her phone. Uh, LaRoche calls her and tries to get him to harmonize
1: with her. The dial tone. Mimicking the dial tone, yeah.
0: And she says that uh, she's very happy now.
1: Trunks will do that to you.
0: Mm -hmm. And then they make love. And she also wishes that she was an aunt and she probably took too much and which is the look that John gives her at one point that's when we get the the not chase scene but the following scene of them following her and them somehow at the airport and uh, back at Laroche's place they're spying on well they're going to spy Donald says he's going to do it but Charlie decides to do it because so it's, it should be me that does it should be me that does it and one of the things he Charlie sees is that LaRoche has a bunch of the ghost orchids, like a whole
1: greenhouse,
0: greenhouse yeah. filled with them.
1: Like, and, a, like a drug runner would have greenhouses, mm-hmm. hydroponics for their marijuana or whatever. Um, he has like basically like a, a drug den basically, for yeah. these orchids. Uh,
0: then he sees that uh, Susan and John are getting high. Well, she is at least. And that they're fucking. Like full on. Wow. But he gets caught. Because he has his face like right in the window. Super obvious. Balding fro. They catch him and Susan immediately recognizes him. Even though she's kind of high like Mary in Eternal Sunshine. Kind of the same way of just like. freaking out. What are we going to do? We're all gooey and and half baked.
1: Those eye drops you gave me didn't do shit
0: um uh, john's happy to see him and shakes his hand even though he's completely naked which is funny and uh he asks who's gonna play me that's what's most important to him mm-hmm. good cut susan starts bugging out which is a real thing that happens when you're when you're high it's not a good feeling at all you just start imagining the worst possible scenarios and One thing about marijuana, because that's the only drug I've ever taken, if you can even count it as a drug, um, is it makes exceptional things ordinary and ordinary things extraordinary
1: or extraordinary. Hmm. Did it make you paranoid? Oh, yeah. Sometimes. It's a common uh, side effect. Mm -hmm.
0: So Susan thinks that they should kill him. And I love Meryl Streep's performance in that moment where she goes from worry to let's kill him. And just in a transition from one look to another in her performance. Um, Yeah, from slight panic to making the decision to kill him. And John's very much against this. He says, I can't kill anybody. And so she goes, then I'll do it by herself. Although he leads the way to the swamp. And she's making Charlie drive the car. They go all the way out to the swamp. Donald is... Laying down in the back seat, hiding, which at first I thought it was her car, and then I went, oh no, it's his car because otherwise he had a rental. Yeah. yeah, how did he get there? That would be a, a plot hole. Uh, they drive to the swamp. I said all that. At one point, Donald knocks her down with the door, and there's a big dramatic chase scene that ensues. And Charlie says to Donald that I don't want to die. They hide in a behind a log, and Charlie talks about how he envies Donald's obliviousness and the we hear a story about in high school there was a girl that donald really liked and he saw the two of them together but as soon as donald went away she started laughing about him behind his back with her friends and he says that he knew about it and he wasn't oblivious and he says the line you are what you love not what loves you i have that written down too it's
1: mm-hmm. going in my my space bio <laughs> it's
0: my uh, my quote uh, the next morning they they've been sleeping next to this log and i love how it looks like it's uh not a real swamp but like it's just a set for some crappy b movie yeah uh the van is seemingly gone so they start to go back to the car but they see that john is right there asleep with his sniper rifle but further down um susan is there with the car screaming hey and he jumps up and accidentally shoots donald they drive away and then they crash into the park ranger's truck so another big
1: crash scene and donald is thrown from the car
0: donald starts to very intense yeah that
1: that that car crash scene is very intense agreed because he flies through the windshield and it looks there's a couple frames where it looks like a dummy but it's like i don't know it's pretty pretty convincing Mm -hmm. pretty realistic
0: Donald starts to die, and you think he is dead, and then Charlie starts to sing, and it, and it brings him back to life for, for a moment. A, for a moment. <laughs> uh, you see that the ranger is also unconscious, and the only person there is Susan and John, because they caught up, and there's a more dramatic chase scene, scene than ensues uh, all the way into the swamp. We also see an alligator, a Deus Ex alligator, and uh, John is crying because he doesn't want to kill him but then the alligator attacks him. So yes, this is the deus ex machina of the movie. Susan calls him a fat piece of shit and a loser, uh, which completely contradicts the imagined compliments and help that she was trying to provide in his mind earlier when he was saying, I'm fat and I'm just, uh, just, you know, a loser. And, and she's like, no, no, you're not. And then the real one, quote-unquote real one says that he's a fat fat piece of shit and a loser and uh, he yells back at her and then she just says that she wants her life back and she wants to be a baby again which is similar to stuff that like i look back at my life i'm like if i could only go back to being this age and i could make this choice instead of that choice and just have just such a better life but yeah and we have to live with the choices we make. Yeah, made. it's
1: hard to. I try not to live like that because you could literally drive yourself crazy thinking about things like that. Like, mm-hmm. okay, this was a turning point in my life. If I would have just gone right instead of left, like my life would be completely different. But it's, yeah, you can't do that.
0: Which might be one of the reasons why our generation is so nostalgic, because you know our nineties suck. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> the nineties things were great for us for the most part, and uh, not as much anymore because we have responsibilities now. Mm-hmm. We have to and, be adults. And a more fucked up—well, it was always fucked up—but a more fucked up economy, at least. Mm-hmm. And the cops and the medics are there. Charlie is handed a phone, and he makes a call to his mom, and he cries. He doesn't even—he isn't even able to get the words out that Donald is no longer with them. Uh, we see a scene that's obviously much later, where Charlie's eating alone at home, and he looks at an empty seat that used to belong to Donald. And then a scene slightly later where he's talking to Amelia and he's about to, he says he's almost finished with the script and she talks about her and David's travels and then he kisses her, which in the moment works. But if you, you know, think about it out of context, it seems kind of creepy. Mm
1: hmm. But it's weird because she looks like she's not interested in him at all. And then he kisses her. And then she was like, why didn't you do this earlier? Yeah.
0: I don't think she said it that way, but that's definitely the subtext of what she was saying. What?
1: She did say that. She does say, why didn't she? I think she she says, why are you
0: doing this now? I'm I'm with with someone. someone, Yeah. but Implying heavily, why didn't you do this before? Yeah. Yeah. So we we agree. Uh, He says that, he says, I love you to her. And uh, she leaves, but not before saying that she loves him too. Which makes... I thought about the, the quote from you know Donald about the, the love and all that. If that uh, is really what happened to the character in that moment, or is that just him imagining mm-hmm. it? Because he doesn't care what she thinks. He only wants to... He, she's the love. You are what you love. So he is what he loves and not what loves him. So he just takes it at, like, she loves me. Uh Because he's assuming, I mean. Yeah. Uh, And then he says he knows how to finish the script and he narrates the ending, which is exactly what's happening on the screen. And uh, he drives off as Happy Together by the Turtles Play, which is the song that his brother would sing all the time and try to convince him to sing with him. And that's the song he sings to him as his brother's dying to try to bring him back to life. The camera cranes down to a planter full of generic
1: flowers and we get a really cool time lapse of Sunset Boulevard. Is that
0: Sunset Boulevard? I was yeah. trying to look and see where it was.
1: But. It's um, Sunset and Vermont. I was born in that because he comes out of a. like. So it's very strange because I knew where they're meeting uh-huh. is uh, Sunset and Crescent Heights, where Virgin used to be, Virgin Records mm. um, by Chateau Marmont. Oh, yeah, I know. Yeah. I used to go there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So um, they're there and then the next shot he's in a parking lot and then he comes out like on sunset in vermont by kaiser hospital that's where i was born just so you know um don't stop me for my fans
0: was it a kaiser when you were born there Mm -hmm. i was born in a kaiser too really
1: yeah um yeah so it was just interesting because i don't know when i see things like that like pulp fiction when they're driving um at the very beginning jules and vincent Mm -hmm. are like talking and they're driving down sunset boulevard it's like I can. I grew up there, so I yeah. literally know that place by heart, and I can see that they like drive by the same spot like five times, or they'll start somewhere like way down the street, and yeah. then a cut will happen, and then they'll start like three miles backwards, and then go to that same spot. It's just, yeah. yeah,
0: it's like uh, any Disneyland special over the years where they're like, "Hey, let's go over here," and they point to a direction, they start heading that way, and then they end up like at the complete opposite end of the park, and you're, coming fucking from
1: frauds, yeah, fakers.
0: So yeah, so that is adaptation. Finally finished it. I mean, it's not going to seem that way if you listen to the edited version. Hopefully, but <laughs>
1: hopefully not.
0: We've we've had some uh, troubles here that we won't get into. Um, so, would I recommend this movie? You may ask. I may ask. <laughs> uh, definitely for sure. Uh, I think this movie is pretty great. I love the ideas of playing with. Story structure, screenwriting, the contradictions of them as a, a lark, as a joke, as a, like you're not supposed to do that, and then he ends up doing it. That whole thing, because it's a wink and a nod, and it's this brilliant idea of making fun of the tropes while indulging in them. Um, I won't go. I guess I shouldn't go too far into my. Uh, Yeah, I'll just keep going. Okay. Uh, (laughs) I think... I'll just say this question, and I'll ask it of you once uh, I ask you if you recommend it, that I definitely like this better than being John Malkovich, and I really enjoyed being John Malkovich. I think this is... I like being John Malkovich and then this even more, and then Eternal Sunshine even more. So I think he got better with age at least in that five year period of time Mm -hmm. again haven't seen human nature um yeah i think this is just great performances all around uh especially chris cooper uh i mean i can't think of a negative really any negatives about this movie uh because all the negatives i would say are there on purpose like Mm -hmm. oh it's the ending is a little cliche it's like well yeah that was the point Mm -hmm. which i'm sure will be in many one star reviews Mm -hmm. so i guess i'll just flat out say that i give this movie a i'll give it a 9.4
1: wow okay you probably disagree
0: would you recommend this movie
1: um I'm not going to say yes, I'm not going to say no. Okay. Uh I don't feel like this is a movie that everyone needs to see. If you like Spike Jones, if you like being John Malkovich, if you like um this kind of like twisty, mind-fucky like you were saying like yeah. a wink and a nudge and a nod and a squeeze. <laughs> Go squeeze. <laughs> yeah. If you're into this um that kind of um that kind of thing then yeah, check it out. But um I won't say like, oh, yeah, you have to see this movie. I think this is one of the first times that I've, I, I haven't have said like, yes, you have to see this movie. Hmm. Or yes, I really recommend this movie.
0: You were uh, maturing in your, I mean, you had the the month off. I don't know where I'm going with that, yeah. but uh, you had the month My off. My voice has changed. Yes. Yeah. You had the month off, so you had time to really think about it. Yeah, really like, think just... about,
1: go inside myself. <laughs> People were inside Malkovich's mind. Yes.
0: Very good. Which uh, I'll ask that question real quick and let you continue your review. Um, Thank you. Do you like it better than being John Malkovich? If you even remember being John Malkovich. I do.
1: Ago. It's hard to say for me because I'll just give the simple answer. There are parts in this movie that are few and far between that I like more than John being John Malkovich.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But I think overall, I mean, I didn't love being john malkovich either um so i think it's true i will say i don't know based on the strength of those parts that i really like in this movie maybe yes i like it more than being john malkovich but i i i'm curious to know what my score was for that movie anyway being john malkovich but um as far as my overall thoughts there are a lot of good things about this movie. The acting is great from all parties involved. Mm-hmm. The writing is fantastic. It's at times bizarre. It's funny. It can be deep and it can be sentimental, uh, especially like the scene um, that we talked about with that random seminal extra who just gave like a Matthew. great performance for the 10 seconds that he was on screen. And the scene where um, Donald is dying and the scene between... Um, la roche and susan on the phone where he's talking about like his wife leaving him and stuff like Mm -hmm. that like those are great great scenes with like emotional depth and you know performances yeah i remember seeing the trailer and they cut it like a fucking wacky comedy like they do with everything so just none of the jokes like nothing like made me laugh out loud or anything like that but i I know that's not the point of this movie yeah i don't think i laughed out loud at anything no um, I like the extreme meta of the overall story, tying into real life and the real process of trying to adapt the book into the movie. Unfortunately, outside of that, the movie did almost nothing for me. I wasn't drawn into the story at all, and even after the plot shift, the characters, although interesting, didn't do enough to make me care about them, with the exception of the scene where Donald dies. I think the film suffers a bit from the length, and it drags in quite a few points in the film, um, like you were saying, I did the same thing. I was like, how much longer is this movie? And I saw and I was like, holy fuck. Yeah. It's only halfway done.
0: It's a lot going on. And it's not a long movie, right? It's
1: two hours and something.
0: Hmm. Well, so, there's a
1: doubt. It's very, like, it's two hours. Yeah. Uh, I won't say that I hated it or even disliked it, but I can't think of a more, like, meh film that I've seen in recent years. Hmm. So my overall score for the first time is a 5.0 wow. out of 10. Right in the middle. Didn't love it. Didn't hate it. If I never saw it again, I'd be okay.
0: So being a John Malkovich, you gave a
1: 7.25. Did I really? Yeah. Fucking hell. I'll have to readjust that.
0: Yeah, I mean...
1: Maybe, or maybe I did like John Malkovich more.
0: Who knows? I'm trying to go through... Okay, you gave Under the Silver Lake a 4.52, so you liked that less. Yes. You gave 100%. UHS a 5.12, so you like that more. <laughs>
1: <laughs> okay let me revise right, i have to revise gave song of the uh, south of 4.73 so you like that less yeah those are all 100 percent. i definitely liked under the silver like less than this movie, Oh sure. so i feel i feel bad
0: christmas story you gave a 5.12
1: i like I would, this more than christmas story
0: well i would, i kind of i was about to say i feel like you probably feel the same way about this that you do about christmas story because you're just kind of like yeah didn't do anything for me
1: yeah um let me, let me revise for the first time live. 5.43. On this one? On this one. Okay. So it beats out it's all those other all movies of the... that, you, that you mentioned.
0: I'll say I'm disappointed, but I'm not like going, but you gotta yeah. love it. Yeah. Whatever. That's not your thing. And
1: it's crazy because Her is like one of my all-time mm-hmm. favorite movies. I think it's a fucking masterpiece. The rest of his movies, I really kind of could go whatever like yeah. where, where the wild things are i'll watch it again eventually because i only saw it in theaters once and i didn't like it at all
0: i loved it in the theaters but... yeah
1: um and then being john Malkovich and this movie they're very like eh, whatever so it's just like weird that i,
0: I need know, to watch her again this because... track record
1: you will because it's on the goddamn list
0: because <laughs> i liked it but i'm like going did i like this more i probably like this more because i'm more into charlie kaufman versus spike jones mm-hmm. so
1: yeah, maybe that's why. I mean he's yeah. he's fucking so talented, like as a musical like a music video director right. and um and an actor. He's a really good actor too. So yeah. um In Babylon. In Babylon he was great as the crazy German director. So anyways, that's my overall score. Uh
0: my other question was, do you think Chris Cooper deserved the Oscar and to fully understand or to answer that properly? The other nominees were Ed Harris in The Hours. I'm, I've never seen that movie. never seen it. That's a very forgettable movie, I'm sure. Uh, Paul Newman in Road to Perdition. Mm. John C. Riley in Chicago. And probably my second favorite of the category would be uh, Christ- Christopher Walken in uh, Catch Me If You Can. Hmm. So of those five, which do you think deserved the Oscar?
1: It would be very, very close between um, Road to Perdition and this one. Okay, I, I know that Paul Newman's not in that movie a whole lot, but I love that movie, Road to Perdition. It's great.
0: Okay, so she was nominated for Supporting Actress Meryl Streep because I was like, wait, she's not nominated for Best Actress. Mm. She isn't. She's nominated for Best Supporting Actress, which went to Catherine Zeta-Jones Zeta in Chicago, which I'm not a big fan of that movie, but sure. She uh, also... Also, was nominated with Kathy Bates for About Schmidt, Queen Latifah in Chicago, and Julianne Moore in The Hours. And I would always vote for anybody over Julianne Moore. Although I think what was it? Still Alice was the movie where Julianne Moore won. I thought she was actually really good in that. Wow. Where she uh, got. Kathy d- giving a compliment to
1: Julianne
0: Moore. Yeah. Um, I'm gonna say you're probably going to. You're okay with Adrian Brody winning mm-hmm. over Nicolas Cage, which I am too. Uh, also nominated was Michael Caine and The Quiet American. I do not remember that. Daniel Day-Lewis and Gangs of New York. That'd probably be the number two um, of those five yeah. for me. Uh, Jack for uh, About Schmidt. Jack Nicholson.
1: Thank you. Yes. Sorry. We just call him Jack around here.
0: Jack. So, yeah, Catherine Zeta-Jones, who she lost to. Not Nicole Kidman, which is odd. Yeah, yeah. And the rest of the ad- adapted screenplays are all boring. Pianists, about a boy adaptation, Chicago, and The Hours. But I don't think I have any other questions as far as This movie goes, so let's move on to trivia.
1: Okay. <clears throat> So for trivia, Nicolas Cage has said that during the filming of this movie, he ignored all of his acting instincts and played the part of Charlie Kaufman exactly as Spike Jones asked him to. He then received an Academy Award nomination for it. So Spike Jones knows what he's talking about. Mm -hmm. Based on the writer, Charlie Kaufman struggled to adapt the best-selling book The Orchid Thief by Susan Orlean. Kaufman quickly got writer's block, and since the book lacked the dramatic structure needed for a movie... He decided to write a screenplay about himself struggling to write a book adaptation, exaggerating many of the story's elements and characters and making up new ones, such as a non-existent twin brother, Donald. Knowing that the producers would reject the idea, he did not tell them about the new direction in which he was taking the story and simply handed in the finished script. Although this movie was supported by Spike Jones, Kaufman himself believed it would end his career, but it didn't. Obviously not. (laughs) We eventually got to direct. Schenectady. Having, been submitted, uh, having submitted the screenplay for approval, Susan Orlean was strongly opposed to the making of the film. She ended up reluctantly approving its production and was ultimately very impressed with the final result. In 2012, she stated, reading the, sc- reading the screenplay was a complete shock. My first reaction was, absolutely not. They had to get my permission and I just said, no, are you kidding me? This is going to ruin my career. Very wisely, they didn't pressure me. They told me that everyone else had agreed and I somehow got emboldened. It was certainly scary to see the movie for the first time, and it took a while for me to get over the idea that I had been insane enough to agree with it, but I love the movie now. Synecdoche. Schenectady.
0: No. Okay. <laughs> Synecdoche. Uh For those of you listening, I showed him the actual spelling of the movie.
1: That's not all he showed me. <laughs> I showed him
0: my uh, ghost orchid.
1: <laughs> hey. hey. <sighs> Yeah, you can call it a ghost orchid because you can barely see it. Oh, I got you, mate. A paragraph from Donald Kaufman's script, The Three, is shown at the very end of the film's closing credits. It reads, We're all one thing, Lieutenant. That's what I've come to realize. Like cells in a body. Except we can't see the body. The way fish can't see the ocean. And so we envy each other. Hurt each other. Hate each other. How silly is that? A heart cell hating a lung cell. And then it has hyphen Cassie from The Three. There's a theory that claims that this paragraph actually reveals the hidden meaning of the film, that Donald, Susan, and Charlie are the three, figuratively or literally. Mm. Give me a little something I like
0: how the, you did that voice like and that it turned voice, out it right? was for Cassie, <laughs> which is probably the it's the, the same big person.
1: It's the same person. They're all the same, right? Same person.
0: Yeah, but it's also supposed to be a woman, uh, but whatever. No. Uh,
1: this movie spent a year and a half in the editing suite, the second longest amount in Columbia's history after Ishtar. Um, that is fucking crazy hour or hour, (laughs) a year and a half in this movie. And there's no crazy visual effects. Yeah. Nothing crazy happens in it.
0: Well, except for the making, I mean, if you can call it a visual effect is making the two men appear on screen together. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Um, which they did a really good job with, but, um, there's no reason. I mean, I wonder if they just shot like tons and tons and tons of footage or they were trying to find the story like in the editing suite.
0: Could be like John Hughes does
1: yep um and lastly when charlie and donald meet in the new york city hotel room charlie asked donald to help him finish the script actually um we already talked about this so we don't have to mention it you gonna keep going no it's just basically stating that um this is like the halfway point of the movie where it like changes over from yeah. like a normal story to um to donald's story where so it's intentional yes uh and it's almost at the exact halfway point of the movie which is crazy, because that feels like that's the th- going into the third act. Yeah. So yeah, and that's it for trivia.
0: So one star reviews. Um, I have a bunch written down. Who knows how many's gonna actually end up in the thing? Might give up on it. Absolutely, spelled wrong. Boring. From smells like cheese from 2004. I'm sorry, but I have to. I have tried to watch this movie twice. Both times I just watched. Oh my god. Both times, I just wanted to quit with the movie. I read the back of the cover, I'm guessing the DVD, and all it says is "great performances," etc., etc., etc. As much as I love Nicolas Cage, Meryl Streep, and Chris Cooper, this performance in the film, their performance in the film, I hope if I can read, their performance in the film, I have to say were pretty average, not their best attempts. This is pretty boring. I'm going to skip this one. Okay, thank you. Desperately disappointing from JSM London, UK, from March two thousand three. I went to see. I went to see adaptation with high hopes. They were all dashed. About forty minutes in, the Charlie Kaufman character described his screenplay as self-indulgent, narcissistic, solid,
1: solid, solid, cystic.
0: Alright, I'm glad I'm not crazy and just reading a word that everybody knows. Because
1: he says that exact word like in the movie, oh, so yeah. he's like quoting the movie.
0: Empathetic. Which sums up my feeling about the film pretty neatly, which is written by Trevor, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> but although the film itself is bad enough, the ending is worse. The only worthwhile moral I could draw from this vastly overblown effort, it la- it lasts almost two hours. Yeah, it's an hour and 55, I looked at it.
1: Yeah.
0: Is... Don't ride in a car without wearing a seatbelt. Uh, there was a, that was a, in the middle of the sentence. That's the lesson he learned. As a road safety film, it's first rate. Otherwise, road it's safety. well worth steering clear off. Uh, Twenty-seven out of fifty-two people found that helpful. Rot poison, posing as depth. This is from Rod Rugger. Dude likes the art. The R's. I was gonna say the R word. This is from twenty twelve. Movies that jump around in time seem automatically to be interesting or deep or complex or her, some such rot to many people. Cage plays a loser. Deeper thinker deeper thinkers will ex deeper thinkers will explain that he's interestingly depressed, socially inept, whatever. He's a dip. What the fuck is a dip? Like a dipshit? Notwithstanding, I guess. Maybe I think this person's British. Mm. Notwithstanding that his character supposedly wrote a good screenplay, you put a hyphen in between screen and play, he becomes immediately tiresome, not funny, not pitiful, or not pitiable, not dramatic, boring. The movie is dull, start to finish, being so by violating the admonitions mm-hmm. of a screenplay, screenwriter, consultant who, for some reason, appears in the movie. He's not a real person, dummy. If you must see this junk piece, this junk piece, borrow it from the library or watch it on Netflix, even for free. In quotes, you will have wasted nearly two hours of your life. The cover of the DVD speaks of hilarious comedy and something good drama. It wasn't hilarious. There was none of either. A waste of Streep. That's not how you spell her name, and far too much cage. Twenty-one out of forty people found that helpful. This uh, has a really good uh, title: an orgy of stereotypes and visual banality. 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 Oh my god! I promise I'm an adult and I can read, but I'm not. I have never thought that Spike Jones had talent, and adaptation confirmed my opinion about it. A few pyrotechnic music video techniques cannot compensate the enormous I mean, uh, I'm gonna skip this one because okay. I can't maybe read.
1: we should just stop altogether I think you've you've made your point
0: yeah that I can't read no
1: <laughs> that is not that
0: but... Let me try this one real quick and then we'll we'll be done this one's from Miss Croc from 2003 and the title is good grief. Go back, it's a trap. First off, this is somehow classified as a comedy. Pardon me. Not only was it a lame adaptation see what you did there, of what might have been a movie, but it's certainly not a comedy. Good grief. This is the first time I tried to enter a negative rating uh, number for a rating, I find that IMDB.com won't accept that. Well duh. Guess I'll elevate it to a one. Can't say I'm a fan of Nicolas Cage, but I certainly am a fan of Meryl Streep. She needs to check with her agent after this one. What the heck is she doing in here? Talk about a waste of talent. Good grief. She won an account- or was nominated yeah, for an Academy exactly. Award. If you already blew your $5 on renting this movie. Jesus Christ, I wish
1: movies. $5? The fuck.
0: Well, actually, I guess that's how much it is to rent on iTunes now. And you, you're you wading through the Everglades with the impressive cast, thinking that most critics, including Roger Ebert, have blessed this effort. Don't expect things to pick up. They indeed can get worse. This is a junior high written venture about a screenwriter whose dog ate his script and had to dream up something on the way to school. Good grief, negative 10. And thirty-one people found that helpful. Not a lot of people talking about the ending being generic or whatever. Yeah, which is surprising because then they're just stupid if they say that. I'm sure there are they're in there, but there were a lot that were like 12 paragraphs long. I'm like, you're passionate about hating this movie. I wish I was passionate as passionate as the people that hate this movie about something. Yeah. Anyways, what have you seen in the last month? If, if you can even remember anything.
1: Yeah. The only things that I can think of is I went to go see uh, Zach Braff's new movie, uh, A A Good Good Person. Person. Really, really good. Yeah. Really enjoyed it. Took Tressa. um, Almost called her Florence Henderson. Florence Pugh. (laughs) Florence Pugh is fucking amazing in the movie. She's so good. Everybody's really great in it. Morgan Freeman's great in it. I prefer Uh, her as Mrs. Brady. Molly Shannon is in it. Um, She's great. But Florence Pugh, like, really steals the show. She really shows, like, what a good actress she is. Yeah. Um, it's really, really heavy, um, but really good. Really well done. I, I've i been telling everybody, like, I talked to to go see it because it's, you know, a very, very small movie. I don't yeah. think it's been, like, it's not on wide release. No. But if you have the chance, go see it um, and bring your tissues with you. And then... Also, we started watching the sec- the third season of Ted Lasso. Yeah, we've only seen the first episode. We watched the first two, and it's, I'm, I'm definitely not as stoked on it as I have been the other two seasons. But uh, Tyler had told me about this show, Shrinking. Yeah, um, on Apple TV with um, Jason Segel, Harrison Ford. Uh, Tyler was like fucking obsessed with getting me to watch it. So he finally watched it and we've watched three episodes and it's great. It's really, it's really, really good. Bill Lawrence. Yes. Another Bill Lawrence film who did Ted Lasso and uh, scrubs Scrubs with Zach Braff. Yeah. It's all coming around. Um, other than that, I can't think of anything else that I've seen. Tressa. Yeah. I don't know. There's a lot in theaters that I, well, not really a lot, but there's, a lot of stuff that i want to see in the theaters um so hopefully i'll get go a see chance. super mario that just came out no i'm not gonna go see super mario the i'll see the movie they had to reshoot um but i hear it's doing really well box office wise but of course like how the fuck could it not yeah because they hyped the hell out of that yeah. movie. i really want to see air that's like the next movie I yeah. see with um directed by uh ben affleck, ben affleck. I already know he's an amazing director. The movie looks great and it's getting really good reviews.
0: How many movies are coming out recently about hey, we made this thing? Remember this thing that was very popular in the 80s or 90s? Like cuz there's Air about uh, Air Jordans, there's Tetris, obviously about Tetris, and there's Blackberry coming out soon too. Really? Yeah.
1: Interesting. I don't know who gives a shit about Blackberry, but okay.
0: The trailer looks cool, but kind of looks like
1: like all the other trailers of like yeah.
0: We got to make this thing. It's so revolutionary. Okay. The story of Tetris is actually extremely interesting.
1: Yeah, I've heard about that. The guy who created it got murdered or something, right? No, he's still alive. <laughs> he just
0: <laughs> It's just he made something that became a worldwide f- phenomenon. Unfortunately, he was got in murdered. a... No, he's in a... By the KGB. He was in Soviet Russia at the time, so he doesn't get credit for it. It's Soviet Russia's property and not his.
1: Oh, so okay. Interesting. It has Taron Egerton in it. Yeah. yeah.
0: As the guy it. who finds it in Russia.
1: I saw the trailer for it. Yeah. Um, yeah, And that's uh, pretty much all I can think of. So.
0: I saw Shazam 2. I liked it. Not great enough to get a Shazam 3 because they are changing everything. Mm-hmm. So it was like, if it was like super great, then they'd probably, and did well in the box office, they'd probably try to keep the character, the actors for those characters. But mm-hmm. Uh, it wasn't enough to, to kill it. Um, but Blue Beetle's trailer looks really cool. I don't know if you saw that. No, I don't.
1: I don't know any of these
0: characters. So. Another DC character. So we'll see what happens with that. Uh, and I started to watch the Transformers movie from 1986, and it's hilarious because they have a lot of 80s songs in it that just make no sense to be in there, including yeah, You Got the Touch. Yeah, that's yeah. why I sent you that. Yeah. <laughs> it's just so random he's like autobots roll out
1: you got the touch (laughs) you got the power yeah i just i can't see anybody other than mark Wahlberg singing that (laughs)
0: exactly that's why i sent it to you guys was dying laughing but uh yeah i saw the first episode of ted lasso season three but i need to keep going with that so
1: homework homework um in the history of cinema, there have been a few films that have been released that really changed everything for me. Mm-hmm. Um, this is one that I've really been wanting to talk about for a long time. And I think uh, most of the people that follow this podcast of ours will be really excited to hear about it. I'm excited. Um, a lot of people you may know in this movie, including like um, some of the crew, um going on to bigger and better things um this was a beginning for a lot of people and um yeah i think this is going to be a good one it's uh it's something very it's a movie very near and dear to my heart it's it's made a big impression on my life it is uh 1991's oh whoa, whoa. is it cool as ice it is cool as ice starring wow. none other than robert winkler uh vanilla ice himself
0: i think those was like movies like this is the whole reason why we did this podcast is to talk about movies of this caliber. caliber yes, uh,
1: absolutely. You're absolutely right. I
0: mean, well, eventually we'll get to Godfather and you know, all other that things.
1: other shit. Children of Men.
0: Um, something from Spike Lee or any black director, but no, this is this is important. We need to talk about this.
1: So yeah, we w- actually we will be discussing uh, Cool as Ice, not Cold as Ice. Yeah, you got to make sure to you get make right sure we get it right because Cool Cold as Ice is a different movie. I'm sure um so yeah we will be discussing that hope you join us for that adventure and uh you know what they say
0: ditch the zero and get with the hero
1: that's exactly right Mm -hmm. okay well excited
0: uh so thanks for listening
1: thank you for listening um been a while it's, it has been a while hopefully that's playing in the background <laughs> now. but um thanks for listening to us if it's your first time visiting us uh please give us a five-star review and write us a review yes. uh, that would be much appreciated uh, let us know what you think about this movie and tell us how excited you are to hear vanilla's funky ass rhymes as he rides a motorcycle through a small town and mm-hmm. falls in love with the girl next door okay have a, have a great life. Bye. See you guys later.
0: you no matter how they the dice You love Cox? Yes, I love Cox. I love Cox. I love cox <laughs>